0: G'day Swillians, little public service announcement here. On behalf of our partners at Better Beer, the Arvo Ale is upon us. And that means that as soon as the sun gets past the peak of its daily arc and the stifling heat and rank humidity are at their oppressing most mugginess, nothing on this planet will freshen up your Arvo like a Better Beer Arvo Ale. This is the most sessional Pacific Ale that'll ever pass your lips. Super easy drinking, clean, and crisp. It's like a winter offshore in the middle of summer, and it's a craft beer without the craft beer wank. You know what I'm talking about. Craft beer wank, it kind of tastes a bit like, I don't know, fruit salad and yogurt. It's like, fuck, mate, if I want to drink fruit salad and yogurt, I'll fucking go and get a smoothie, all right? When I drink a beer, I want to be refreshed, I want it to be clean and crisp, and I want it to be the better beer Arvo Ale. So kick the back half of your day off in style with a Better Beer Arvo Ale. It's available now at All Good Bottle shops, so you can jump online and see where they stock it. Better Beer Arvo Ale, proud partners of Ain't That Swell. Ain't That Swell presents Crawl Lords.
1: Today's guest is Brett Bircher. Birch is a South Coast slab shaman par excellence a man of remarkable humility Uh, he's a former elite professional surfer or free surfer to put it more accurately and he's a blue-collar journeyman whose career has taken him from laboring on building sites to working as a tiler and finally becoming a primary school teacher all the while amassing countless cones of mortal coniquence many of which found their way into surfing magazines and video sections. Love this chat with Birch. He's a fellow I've known for over a decade. A genuine seeker, committed to approaching life and surfing with an openness and honesty that I deeply admire. No way! Yeah, that's wild. Uh, we're on, man. Oh, we're on. Yeah, because you're good with kids, aren't you?
2: Oh, fuck! You have to ask them. Um, yeah, no. I'm a. I mean, I'm a teacher.
1: Yeah, so. you've been working with them for. Have, did you end up ever fully going into a school and, and working for a couple of years there yeah, as a Yeah, I finished,
2: finished my like, degree in 2019 and pretty much went straight in. Um, did my last placement at Milton Public and then went because yeah, I was like Johnny on the spot. Just got straight in like a temp position. Worked there till last year. So did probably four years mm. teaching.
1: How did you find that?
2: Um... I think like anything at the start like because you've done all that training and you've put like years and years into it you kind of you just like I guess you're in there and you're just experimenting with it and like almost telling yourself you're loving it and I liked parts of it for sure like the actual hanging with the kids and some of the sessions were epic but then oh by the end like I, don't, I can't see myself going back like right now with the way the system is and with the way it's run. Um, casual, yeah. Like I do the old casual day where I can come in, do the teaching and, and peel out after with no strings attached. But to, to make that your full-time job and, and something you do every day, I, I found it like really draining, to tell you the truth. Like it's pretty it's pretty hard work and te- it's, it's a funny one teaching. Eh? Like I feel like a lot of people like hammer it up with the holidays and kind of put a bit of shit on them and whatnot but like need it it's it's full-on work um so i think like the parts that i did like just were out it's got outweighed in a negative from the stuff i didn't and i just had to step away mm. um, i haven't taught now for like a year
1: yeah man that must be so trippy getting to a point where you're using the skills that you've been studying for the past however many years and you've been telling yourself while you're studying that, like, oh, I'm going to get to this point. And once I reach this point, it's going to be my utopia. I have finally got the dream job with using the skills that I've learned only to get to that point and realize that, like, that point kind of sucks but you're not willing to admit that to yourself because you've just spent fucking four or five years studying yeah. those skills to apply them only to find out it fucking sucks. That's, that's like, not that it fully sucks but... Um, that's a rattling, a rattling thing to, to have to, and I've seen people do it. Obviously, I've known many school teachers, uh, mates have become school teachers and they've gone through that same process of being like, this is not what I thought it was.
2: Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. It's, it's rattling. Um, the thing, generally, if you go to uni on campus, it's a four-year degree, right, and you do a prac in that first year, so you kind of get a taste. And then you could be like, oh, maybe this is not for me. But then I, I guess I did not mind by distance the whole time because I was, like, surfing and doing other jobs and laboring and whatnot. I did not mind by distance. So I didn't do my prac until I'd probably knocked over, like... Obviously, my study was part-time, but I'd probably been studying for it for, like, four or something years before I did my first prac. But the thing about pracs are, like, you're such a... When I say prac, I just mean, like, the experience in a classroom where you're being mentored under a teacher, um, and the thing about him is like, because you're so hopeless and so green and so like just observing everything, you don't really get that good of a taste. Like you get you get confidence standing in front and delivering the content and, and sort of learning ways that different kids learn and, and trying to adapt um, the teaching to that. So mm. you're kind of like, oh yeah, that, that is
1: fun. And that but is when little Johnny's fucking giving little Janelle a ass moustache in class or a fucking... A- What they call it, stink palm. There's nothing in that. There's nothing in the teacher's manual about that.
2: And that—that's where I a cupcake.
1: I got sick of like almost faking,
2: faking in a way. And I hope, obviously, I hope this doesn't like hinder any like teaching things in the in the future. But like, like that shit's funny, right? And and like you have to like it's almost like you're literally an actor um, because you're up there. Like you feel pretty like similar to a lot of these kids in a way you know it wasn't that i mean it was ages ago but it wasn't that long ago that you can picture your mindset being like that and having a giggle and, and fun at all the things they do but if you give that any fuel and like they they let you you let them see that you kind of like that then they're mm. just going to absolutely torch it and and then that ends up wearing you out and like so there's that fine line between and I never really found it, like to tell you the truth, that fine line between like being really relatable and like connecting and all that, but then also being like a mental teacher, and I just couldn't find it because, yeah, like give them an inch, they'd run a mile and, and just the class sizes are ludicrous, right like I, I mean te- like teachers don't get me wrong, they're amazing, the job they do is amazing, and I think they're doing as good a job as they could, given like the current circumstances, but to have one person trying to handle 30 individual personalities abilities backgrounds it's its the biggest juggling act so I, I was really drawn with my teaching to like special ed um always just like connected with with kids like that and, and people from like diverse abilities and backgrounds and the beauty of those classes is that they're, they're a lot more intimate there's only there's generally, eight kids max to those classes, right? Because they can't handle the stimulation, they, they just work better in a smaller environment, more routine um, insulin environment. So, it's one teacher to eight kids max, plus, you have an aide there to help you. So, that you, you're essentially juggling like three quarters less, and the content is pretty clear, pretty routine. And, and it's, I just found it so sick. So, I ended up doing half my masters in special ed because, because I was still attached to that teaching thing that I'd gone and studied I'm like well this is where I want to be if I'm going to be in the school system did half the masters but then still
1: walked away mm. yeah yeah it's interesting I just finished reading that book Stolen Focus by uh, Johan Hari have you read this book? Um, you, I'm 50 pages in because you speak it. yeah about okay because uh, I guess you're going to get to the point where uh, it's kind of towards the back third I believe where they're talking about schooling and the education system and the fact that it was invented purely to get children in the habit of of sitting still for six hours to then prepare them to work in factories that that was the sole goal of school as it was coined in the kind of industrial age I guess for, for the last few hundred years um that was its main in intent and purpose and yeah you know and then if you if you couldn't if you couldn't pay attention or if you couldn't sit still for those hours they'd fucking drug you they would give you speed or dexamphetamine or ritalin or whatever and um and force you to pay attention that way and just the sheer fact is that the schooling system is not built around learning Uh, relevant stuff necessarily it's not built around cultivating happiness or joy or connection or good health it's just purely a means to coerce children into being cogs in the capitalist machinery and it's crazy when you go to places like Bali and you see their school system uh, in primary school and they go to school for like four hours a day and they learn two things, uh, one of which is music, and one of which is socializing. So they're just learning how to play music and hang out together. Yeah. It is crazy. <laughs> and, was... and then obviously the fundamentals of language and arith- arithmetic. But mate, like they're you know yeah, having being literary. Uh, what's it? <laughs> how good's that? <laughs> what's it called? What's it called? Being literate. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's important to a point. Uh, And, you know, having basic arithmetic is important to a point, but beyond a point, like fuck, you're using calculators. um, You know, you got an accountant to do your tax returns. It's, it's bizarre. It's fucking so strange that that's the way the education system is set up. And I really like, yeah, for me at this point, if I were to have kids, it would just be about either homeschooling, steiner schools or montessori schools and i feel sorry for so many people who've become teachers thinking that it was a noble profession and it is in in theory but in practice you can only work through the structure that they've provided for you and that structure is fucking corrupt to its core
2: yeah no you nailed it i think i think it's the accountability thing also it's like basically a lack of funding lack of resources um and the accountability like what what's expected of that one person in that class that the workload and and the boxes that have to be ticked to to reach this goal that who who's making it up you know who, who's i mean we know who's making it up but it's just um
0: yeah who the, is making the, it up like well it- it's
2: just stakeholders and like the department of education they're, they're not really on the ground they're not they were educated back in those times that you referred to. So mm. they're, they're going through that that is still the mindset and that's the, that's the future everyone should strive for. Um, and, and it's probably worked for them. But times have changed and kids Ooh. have changed. And like when you go back to, you know, they're made to sit there and they're given, like the content they're given, like, yes, I agree. Some of it's awesome. Um, the numeracy, the literacy, like the kids need that. Like you need that to survive. Um, and, and flourish whatever you choose to do to a degree um, but like the creativity is a bit squashed and and it's just and it, and like the the socializing of it parties squashed and, and everything's a bit squashed and cramped because again like the numbers game like you can't you can't really you don't have time to go around and, and encourage creativity if 30 different people get to know that 30 different people and And also try and teach, like you kind of have to keep it regimented just so you can like one, hold on to your sanity and feel like you're doing something and just keep everything at bay. It's almost like you're like just holding on and and making sure you get to that to the end of the day without, um, you know, just chaos. And then you got like someone over there who's really interested, someone over there that couldn't give to, you know.
1: Drug him. (laughs) If he's too (laughs) creative, drug him. If he's not paying attention, drug him.
2: And like, you know, Milton school where I was, was, it's such a good school. You know, it's like good size, the teachers are incredible, the staff are incredible. Um, like everyone's just like you walk into the job and, and yeah, you can say like, why don't you um, enhance the creativity? But you're running off the content that you have to, like you're told what you have to teach at what time and you've got to fit it in like, the amount of stuff that's got to be fitted into that day with all the extra like assemblies and you know you go to this class for like or you might have um buddy classes and like or there's an assembly here and like hours of the day taken out plus the huge lunch breaks um it's just they just feel, they're putting more in they're wanting more out but they're not they're not feeding the other side of giving more time space resources so that's that's mm. it. that's pretty much what, where it's at for me
1: I think the moment they decided it would be legal and encouraged to drug our children with an amphetamine to make them pay attention to questionable content is the moment that we really should have put our foot down and and said no. Like I think a lot of people put so much faith in the Department of Education and government and General practitioners, and without realizing that they're paid actors in a broken system that was never designed to create good physical or, or mental health outcomes. It's just an insane concept, man. Given a fucking eight year old hardcore drugs, like, and, and parents being okay with that, it's fucking insane, man. We've think- been living in a strange, kind of zombie apocalypse that's been fully normalized so i haven't read that part of the book where were they doing this where are they dragging them everywhere like in the west they try to put me on this shit yeah right you know like every, like anyone who can't pay attention anyone who can't fit into that those parameters that you're talking about in that that six hour school day if you're quote unquote disruptive i.e not willing to sit still for that amount of time which is fucking wholly unnatural for kids. Like it's all about play and exercise, They're, you know. And it, the science says that exercise is the, the best way into learning. Once you've exercised sufficiently, your, your neural pathways and, and brain is much more of a sponge to be able to absorb information anyway. And we're just not set up to pay attention for that long, like mm. in a static sit-still fashion, mm so yeah all through america and europe and australia they were just handing out ritalin like tic tacs and not taking into account a that the the very structure that kids are learning in is malfunctioning but b like what's going on at home you know Mm. is there two parents is there enough money or food is you know so none of these questions are asked it's just a matter of um you know the same way you're forced to teach through this really stringent structure, kids are forced to learn through it. And if they can't learn through it, they drug them so they can't. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then they feel (laughs) that's pretty isolating place. That's fucking insane, man. Imagine not going good at school and and things aren't working out. It it can be isolating and you can think that that trend's going to follow you through. Um, So, yeah, I mean, probably just repeating myself here, like just changes need to be made like to reflect like just to yeah, break this system, reflect where, where everyone wants to go, the, the, the future they're looking at. And they are, I reckon since I was at school, so what, I was at primary school like 15 years ago, I would say there is more of a focus on bringing in daily exercise. So, that, so they're onto that, which is awesome. There probably is even more of a focus around like the artistic side and the creativity. So there's like small changes being made and especially even First Nations, um, assemblies and just awareness and an understanding of, of that, that's improved like tenfold. So there, there are like beautiful little changes within it. but And I think, I don't know if that's how it's going to go, like little, little, little changes until it hits a good spot or whether they can just do a quick flip and change a lot of things very quickly. But again, repeat funding and all that mm.
1: stuff. Then there's like also super worrying changes where uh, kids are all learning on iPads and stuff now, right?
2: uh or is yeah, that so a, i'm pretty pro- i'm primary based obviously okay so, so when does like that the, come in
1: uh, in high nah, school like they laptops and ipads and
2: yeah i'd say you'd have your own device in in high school okay. you don't have your own device in in primary oh, that's you good. just have you go to the library and you'll jump on and, and play with devices and there'll, there'll be device time in class but it's more like an arranged time and, a, and a, it'll have a duration um so they're not just whipping them out like morning lunch mm. either. um so, yeah, um, it's still, like, quite a bit in book. They're, it's, like, multimodal. Like, there's, there's a, they're, they're bringing in different ways of learning, and, and so they should. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm obviously speaking from a primary perspective. Yeah. Because like, there's a lot of these things. I'm and, speaking um, from
1: an ignorant perspective. Cause it's been fucking decades since i've like, set foot in a school yeah, so
2: so I, like they are like it's funny yeah you can hear, hear me now Like i'm thinking about i'm like it's a, they are beautiful places like they're, they're supportive they're you know like i said a lot of the staff are really caring there's so many like passionate teachers who like give who care a lot and give a lot like so much um but yeah it just comes back to the changes and, and the primary is obviously just starting to it's it's the problems are visible but i reckon they would be a lot more visible and um, in, in the high school. So I, I'd need someone else to talk about that. And, and I was quite... I just paid attention to what I needed to and I naively just turned a blind eye to a lot of that other stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, because yeah. yeah. It's an interesting development that they're pushing kids to learn through these devices which are turning out to be super corrupting to the ability to focus, pay attention, sleep like they're, they're it's looking as though these newfangled devices ipads phones even laptops are probably doing more harm than good well, it's a, yeah it's
2: a double-edged sword of that isn't it like that's where a lot of jobs are heading that that's the kind of skills you need now to to enter the workplace when you come out yeah it's the out new out factory you need so that
1: but they're training you to sit in the new factory <laughs> exactly but they haven't you know with
2: these books like Style and Focus and, no one's really sat down and been like, "Hold on, what is all this time on this like doing to us?" And you know, the kids are probably a lot of the kids, and everyone would agree, like a lot of them are going home and just getting on them for another six hours, you know, into mm. the night. And like, if you, that's if you don't know that's unhealthy for an array of reasons, or it might be time to pick up that book. But yeah,
1: so many people don't, hey, um, they don't realize just, how blue lights affect your ability to have a good night's sleep and that there's a blast radius that can be detected two days later from staring at your phone screen within an hour yeah. of going to bed, let alone letting your kids do it. and Yeah, yeah, I
2: feel because, you know,
1: it's, so it's like Developing how do you brain. prep them up then? Like if that's where – and
2: kids generally want to go that way and you're actually benefiting their their future to, to jump into the workplace efficiently, but then you've also got these problems aligned. Like it's, it's such a tricky – Dynamic to try and juggle, Um, and as a teacher, like you can't, you can't do all this. So it's got to be people making the decisions from high, and and filtering down, and then and then you delivering it. You know,
1: Mm -hmm. yeah. And then the the next question is: I think the companion books to Johan Hari's are Rutger Bregman's, and it's all about like these jobs that exist online uh, and on computers. Like, what actual value are they contributing to the world? Do they need to exist, or should we all just be living off universal basic incomes and growing food, food and catching food for our community and, and building each other's homes? And you know, like, there's, uh, yeah, I feel like we're 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 trapped in an old operating system, and they're just barely hanging on to it. And there's very little logic that underpins any of it apart from this uh, endless growth model that capitalism is uh kind of running on that seems to be the operating system i don't know yeah. anyway but you've got it you've got a newborn child man so how are you feeling about the future and 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 the direction uh you want to take with parenting yeah i'm just
2: like just in, like day by day like i you know i can't look too far in the future i what's a problem now, or what we're seeing now, like we're, we're learning, there's so much new things coming in every day and new understandings. And I just feel like that's just going to be happening a lot. So I'm just, you know, these are such formative years of hers. She's, she's nine months old, about four days. <laughs> and she's just like going through these crazy like regressions and then jumps and like her energy's just picking up. She's on the solids now. You can just see the brain that's like tapping into everything in the room and so I'm just going to be there for that. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm not thinking too, cause if I start going into the future too much, like I'm missing these parts, you know, Totally. I mean, it, it is what it is. Like, I just want to like lay the foundations and, and give her that, you know, let her know she's loved, supported, she, she can do whatever she wants and then foster that sort of part. And then look at the bigger picture, like as I'm going along, mm. but um, it doesn't, yeah, it's funny. Like I don't, Honestly, don't think about it, mate. Cause, it's good. Yeah. Cause just it's stay just, in the present. I guess just stay present, but also like stay in the present, but just learn and and hear and try and like read and, and sort of know what's happening. Yeah, because you have to do both, don't yeah, you? You have
1: yeah. to you have to pay attention to the various risks and environmental factors that could impinge on your child's ability to develop a healthy and happy body and mind. Like, and that does need to be done from the get-go. Yeah. Because that's what it's about. Like it's about cultivating an environment for them to develop a really healthy brain and, yeah. and body, isn't
2: it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's fun though. It's real cool. She's, yeah. she's a gem, mate. She's such a cool kid. Yeah.
1: And uh, you're also helping adults do the same thing. You just finished uh, total immersion. Is that what it's called, uh, or just immersion? Uh,
2: it was called flow state. Flow state. Flow state immersion. But I was flow I state. was just calling it immersion. Right, so right. Like. Um, Flow so state—it's a bit of a, like a buzzword just to chuck on the front. But Mate, it's funny—that's what
1: that book is about, and mm. e- even our understanding of flow state is is often like, like that word is thrown around a lot without really understanding what it means. And really, what it means is just long periods of focus uh, on something that's kind of on the edge of your ability, I guess. That seems to be anything it could be even be reading a book, yeah. but it's just yeah, uninterrupted focus seems yeah and yeah. like something that's not overly challenging
2: where you're gonna it's gonna feel too distant and you're gonna tap out because you, you're not feeling like you're meeting that or something that's too easy where you're gonna get bored yeah i guess the flow state came back to we just went out to like Wollumbin out near mount warning that's where it was so you're you kind of disconnecting from everything in this beautiful um facility and the flow state part just came back to like just connecting back to yourself, like letting go of all those distractions. And, and you know, Takesh, um, that's who I collaborated with it on and he was doing the movement side of things, like incredible, almost surf flowy sort of movement. It's not, it's not directed at surfing specifically, but um, if you can just picture the movement, like opening the hips, opening the body, which then essentially opens up the mind. It's almost like dancing, choreography kind of, movements that happen in sync and and like the floors the teacher so you're learning how to like just land softly on the floor and go into a roll and follow where your body can go and and try and encourage it to go to places that it probably hasn't been for a long time or is not willing to go due to like injury or anything you're holding on to emotionally and stuff so that's where that flow state challenging thing comes in and then um yeah then i would do the breath work side of things so Just focusing on mainly like really simple. I mean, it's the breath. It's simple as right. Like the strip back approach for me is is as good as any. Um, So just really just techniques that help you regulate emotion, bring you back to the present, focus. Like really, just all nostril breathing techniques can be done anywhere, anytime um, during the day to to bring you back to yourself. And then and then we just do some solid. 30 40 minute whimmies at the end, and everyone would tap in.
1: Sick. And so, did you have you got trained? Did you get the certificate, or did you do training to do Wim Hof, or you were just leading it yourself, like just through the app, or whatever?
2: Yeah, I was just, um, I've just done a lot of breath work myself for the, probably the last four yeah. years, and then I've like just sort of gone to different sessions with different people mm. and, and cherry picked the goodness that I saw. Um, so it's just like almost self-taught sort of thing. And I, felt com- I feel confident enough to orchestrate a session um, mm. with the knowledge and having read up and, and then done it all yourself. I feel like that's where the
1: learning is. Um, yeah, it's a funny one that I, I, I feel the same, but then I'm like, fuck, these guys did spend like $8,000 going to do the teacher training with Wim Hof in Holland or Poland or wherever it is. So I, I don't really know what the protocol is around. Uh, hiring those people versus doing it yourself yeah
2: how did it go yeah it's a, it's a it's similar so I wouldn't just say i'm it's it's a little bit different to whim it's just that similar style like tumo breathing breathe ups you know um and yeah, I felt the same like i I did think like well i don't have I don't have like a a, a piece of paper telling me I can do this um but i'm I'm, I'm doing that in a in a month just to like feel that within myself to know that I've like ticked that box in case I'm ever like confronted by someone about like, have you done the training? So I haven't done like, I haven't like looked into the Wim Hof style, but I just guess just that breathe up and having done it a lot myself and, and just being able to like hold that space because it can bring out emotions and mm. different. Everyone has a different reaction and depending on what their body needs at the time and, and feels and having been a teacher and having worked with like you know um, disabilities and things, like I feel like it can hold that space, okay. And to me, I'm like, well, that's enough. And so yeah, I just shared my knowledge and then and then held the space and let them go on their journey. Um, so it was it was really cool, and it, it went mental. Yeah, everyone a, had oh, it was so good, good event. Really good event. Like yeah, we had. It's a pretty. It's a. It was a really intimate setting. I think there was six. There was seven on the Saturday and then one had to drop off. So then there was six. Um, yeah, and they all get their own accomo, like beautiful setting. And then we all just go to this space during the day. Um, and, you know, Takesh would do the movement super early. And then we'd have brekkie and then I'd do the, do the breath work after. And then Takesh does... And we give him a bit of free time and the, the, the facility had like saunas, ice baths, spas. So we just do like that contrast wow. therapy for like a couple of hours coming off a movement in the morning and then a breath. So by lunchtime, you're just fizzing. Fizzing. Um, and then Takesh does this really cool body work where he'll, because it's all about connecting like to yourself. And then he, he does this body work where he'll, he'll guide it on someone and then you, ta- you do it with your friend. You give and receive.
1: Zen Shiatsu, is that yes, what it's called? Zen Shiatsu. I did that exactly. once yeah, at, yeah. Uh, at Island Vibes on North Australia, actually. Oh, yeah, it was trippy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it was sick though. Yeah. yeah, super
2: interesting. Yeah, so like you, you get to give out and kind of let go of your like, ego and the things that are making you feel you mm. know, like are, are protecting you from that and then you try and tap into that person and follow their breath and feel their sensitivities and, and kind of and let that guide you. And then you get to receive, and it's like this cool couple of hours in the in the evening that you really just to, just to top off what you've already done earlier in the day. So we just did like just did that over two days, basically. Like, whenever we weren't in a session, we were like, yeah, either sauntering, ice bath, spa, and then we could walk to this freshwater pond that was coming down off like Mount Warning, and it was it was as cold as icy anyway. So we're just swimming in that. Um, yeah, it was it was really cool. Fuck, oh,
1: that's cool, man. Yeah. Sounds amazing uh man take us back to like the start of your journey so growing up in alladala like give us a bit of an insight into your family history what your folks did for a living that kind of stuff
2: yeah um was born in milton hospital there like next to in 1989 um my my mum was a she was a nurse and then she was a teacher's aide at, at ali high um and my dad and his brother were accountants and his dad was an accountant. Um, so they ran, yeah, Bircher services accountant in the main street of Ali. Um, he like little brother duo. Um, he's been retired now for like semi retired. He sold, sold half of that about five or 10 years ago and just does that. He's kind of got his clients that he's had since day dot and he keep, keeps them going, but he hasn't taken anyone else on, on new, um, they still live in the same house that they took me back to all that time, like in Mollymook. Wow. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I had an older sister. She was five years older, older brother, three years older. Um, so, basically, we just – we lived probably a couple of hundred metres from Mollymook Beach and just, like, went to Aladala Public, Aladala High. I just had this pretty, like, idyllic childhood. There was lots of kids in our little neighbourhood that were – the same age and um, we had the same interests and like a lot of brother groups there was probably like four or five like brother groups and like it was weird how the younger one would be my age and the older one would be my brother's age like three years older so we'd always just be like roaming as a crew and um, obviously us younger ones were looking up to what they were doing so they just they were surfing we were surfing they were doing whatever we were doing it and like we've carried that through like our friendship group like everyone's probably ten to fifteen years apart, but we're all just like solid as I man.
1: Know. I love that. Like that is so idyllic. That is like the Australian dream right there. Coastal town, tight knit community. Um, you know, you've got uh, everyone's like kind of owning their homes, or, or at least you know not in any serious financial stress. There's enough work for people. And I like fuck man. Like my little uh, my little glimmers into that kind of lifestyle when I was a kid. Uh, like. There was a couple, I think we, me and mum stayed in Coffs Harbour once on our way, way to visit Simon up here. Uh, Simon, and best morning of the earth, all that. Mm. And um, I remember just thinking, fuck, like, Coffs is mental. Like, there's fucking uncrowded waves and like everyone seems to have a front yard and shit. And then I get older and people are like, you're from Bondi, fuck. You must be like, how lucky are you? I was like, mate, when I was eight years old, these older Russian kids tried to roll me for my bike, my speedwell, and punch me in the fucking head. They were like twelve. This was was like, I was eight years old. Just copped this big fucking straight right in the forehead. Like, I don't know. It's just funny how, uh, yeah, uh, people get this funky idea about like raising kids in the city versus like this idyllic. Mm -hmm coastal town, every, every town has its problems and every family has its problems too. So, you know, there's nothing, I shouldn't romanticize anything too much. But fuck, if, if you could choose, like you you definitely choose the environment. That's like just the classic Australian dream environment and it's mad. And it produces such good people, man. And one of the things I noticed about you know, traveling to your part of the world and surfing was that like I expected to confront like – because the waves were so good, I just thought there'd be like a heavy layer of protectionism around them and it was the complete opposite and I couldn't fathom it. And I had, I, I admired and respected it so much because the level of surfing was so high that, yeah, you immediately straight off the bat respected the people that were there and yet the the level of decorum or localism that you guys ran was was so laid back that it really set a strong tone for the area you didn't have to do anything You never had to like threaten or yell or localize at all you, you guys were so smart in how you you did it because it, it made your own lives very calm and, and peaceful because if you want to go down that route of, of trying to protect spots and, and beat people up and Slash car tires. You, mm. You're ultimately stressing yourself out. You're ruining your own experience, as well as the other person. So, yeah, like it's interesting, man. Aladala in that zone, just like really for me in all of my travels, I think that place set the standard for how to protect spots or you know just surf uh, really high quality waves without having to resort to standover tactics yeah Mm.
2: yeah we're 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 so we're so fortunate and i haven't been away now for a year you know like i just i do reflect on that a lot and yeah no one is it's like yeah it's like that beautiful line where you just everyone's chill and they just they want their waves and that's fine but they they travel and they get out and they you know so if you go and travel somewhere and, and you are that person at the back of the pack like you can bring that home and kind of understand how it feels and there's no reason why you can't share the lineup but still get what you need you know like i th- I still i think like the word localism it, it's it's a funny one and and you can just you can people understand like most of the people who are out there know that like it's okay for you to paddle past them and go and sit at the top but you can you can be nice on the way through and say like, i hope you're getting some and i hope there's you know ones coming through here and and if you make your way up like that's great um and it just makes a pleasant experience for everyone and then when you travel like people sh- like if you put out that frequency and you're like that you'll experience it somewhere else and um, we all wanted to travel and we all we're not like none of us are fighters and and there are times when you know like there's, say there's more people rocking up for a spell and you can feel that angst and certain people are kind of preaching that a little bit and it just never felt right. It was, you, and you might try and dabble with it a bit and almost feel into that, but it just end up wouldn't work out, and, and no one would be, no one would be happy. Um, so yeah, I, I reckon that stuff's like so draining. The, the localism stuff. It's like you're not even like you're more focusing on that than you are actually like what you're doing. Um, so if you just paddle out and acknowledge everyone and like you, and then just wait your turn, like you're gonna have the best sesh and everyone's going to feel that and things are just going to fall in your way. Um, so, yeah, I think all the lads down there did it really well too because it is a pretty amazing zone and I think it had that, it had that stigma prior to us, I think, um, that it was pretty gnarly, you know, and you still hear it now. Like people say, oh, it's pretty gnarly down there and you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't really know what people consider gnarly, but I think it's just done well like what you said it's done like
1: it's like firm but fair you would say totally yeah Yeah, and so much of what localism is built around is making the surfing experience unpleasant for people who aren't from that community but in doing that you can't you can't help but make your own situation and sensation unpleasant Mm -hmm. you can't be unpleasant to people and stay pleasant you know it just doesn't work like that so Mm -hmm. Man, talk to us about the crew that you come up with. Like, uh, you know, Paul Morgan uh, was a pretty iconic guy. Like, when I was a grandma, uh, one of the guys from Bondi Clancy, guy did the junior series with Morgan. So, like, you would hear a lot about this guy uh, in the city. And you'd just hear that he was a fucking maniac. And um, that's what he was. <laughs> like, he was a few years older than you. And uh, yeah, it's incredible to see he's kind of life's work reach full bloom at depot with that crazy one he got and and kind of you know the guy never seemed to get as much publicity as he probably deserved considering the surfing he was doing and then for him to get that wave which is i don't know it's the best one i've seen out there um at whatever age he's at he's probably 40 he's got kids he's a carpenter and uh yeah i mean incredible surfer what was it like uh having him as a uh, an older influence on you
2: yeah like just to answer a few things in there that wave that he got at depths like that it's just the most special ride i reckon like one of the most special rides ever especially in oz like just just being able to like witness his like whole 10 years before that or 15 even and like be right in the thick of it and then to see him like do that and then that photo of him coming out like looking up like like that's like when i look at that photo now i'm just like it like just floors me like stops me in my tracks like that is crazy um that wave is so hectic and he's like late and you'd be thinking he's thinking he's probably like, there's a good chance he's not making that, you know, to, to get that deep and to be that late to pull up with no store like just so much water and so much energy like is in that one spot where he's dropping in, like that just takes so much commitment. I don't think he'd surfed it much prior to, so... Just that wave, yeah. I just can't underestimate how psycho and how incredible that the was. The commitment to, to
1: knife and backdoor a wave of that unpredictability and, and mm. that amount of energy, it, it, it is, I mate, mean, it's only a guy of that caliber of surfing mm. can pull that. Like, it's, it, you know, that, that was way more psycho than any wave I can think of at Pipeline. Mm. Uh, fucking, like I mean, there's been comparable ones out there, but that's like right up uh, the pointy end of any wave I can remember seeing surf a pipe. It's fucking so crazy. Like, give, give us an idea of of how good he is. I mean, you would have seen him surf so much. Uh, he's a fucking a wizard, but like also comes from that school where toe surfing was super popular, I feel like, when like you guys were were kind of coming up in your... your late teens early 20s but obviously among the best paddle surfers in the world too yeah yeah and i'll, I'll,
2: I'll go through all that i guess and just seeing how many just seeing how people stoked people were for him like all around the world you know like everyone everyone knows how good he was anyone who has observed and been there and like surfed around him in conditions of that magnitude like they know how gnarly he is and when you said before how good was he like I felt like I'd been to enough places with him and then been to enough places without and, and watched like talent around the world. And he, he to me was on like that kind of Healy spec, you know, like this, there. not saying like Healy's a waterman obviously does a lot of diving, but just that like absolute animal in any way, like doing the unthinkable on the ones that no one really wants and sticking them with that skill. Um, Morg's like, he won pro juniors, you know. He won a pro junior at Sandham Point, like when he was nineteen. Like so, the fundamentals are like solid as, um, but then he was like as tapped and as, like you could say. I, I, like there was times, yeah, he was reckless. Like you know, definitely he was reckless. He was on a mission, um, but he just pull it off, and because he was so skillful, and it's reckless. It looks reckless to me, but in his head, it probably wasn't reckless. You know, he's like, I've got this. Um, he would just send it so hard, man. Like, yeah, I'm probably like siding off here, but I'll come back to answer those questions. But like, there was this one time, um, what I've seen him do is like, we went to cow bombing. It was like, you know, that, that time between like December, pretty much from like December 15th to like January 1st, just a write off, right? You're just like abusing your body. You're not in a good place. It's summer in Olds, you're barely surfing. But we were trying to stay like somewhat fit and stay in the zone because he's like, something's going to happen in Jan. And then like January 3rd, like a cow bomby swell popped up. This was like, would have had to have been like 10 plus years ago. And we went over to cow. And um, so anyone who doesn't know where cow is, it's like in uh, Gracetown, kind of near North Point, but around it's a bomby like so far out to sea. And it was...
1: It's been a heap of like australian big wave awards won there i remember camel winning one there and yeah yeah and it holds fucking i
2: mean big. i'm definitely not going to say it hadn't been paddled at that point but paddling was was quite a new thing out there it, it had been generally dominated by the tow and, and for good reasons it's quite shifty it's a huge pizza reef and it's and it's far out um, and the waves like pretty steep and uh we went there with, with the intention of paddling and just, it was just Morgs myself, and Russ Ward took us out there on, on his ski, like a really good friend of ours, Russ. And it was, it was 25 foot, hey, I'm not kidding, like the biggest waves I've ever seen and they were so shifty. Like there was, just, it was, there was 100 to 200 metres in where these waves were breaking and that's like length out and length either side. So you were just like rat getting the cheese, Completely just like at mercy to whatever it was gonna. And these waves were like we'd done a few Hawaiian seasons prior to that, and I'd never surfed waves bigger with him. And we got out there, and I like I'm someone who I used to sit and watch for ages, and and admittedly I want absolutely nothing. I'm like what? It was it was like that deer in headlights feeling when you first you haven't seen a swell for ages, and those first few waves you see, they really take you back, and that just struck fear in me. And he was off off the ski, paddling out on his own, like there's no one else in the ocean paddling out to these like twenty twenty five footers and um like within five ten minutes I don't even oh he'd paddled it once before or something, but there was no like lineup. she can't have an affinity with that reef having surfed it once, and he was absolutely like yeah just first wave like probably just 20 foot just in it into it and then like coming off and just going and I hadn't even made it out the back yet like I'm I'm just sitting next to Russ on the ski going this is so freaky and and then he's just like going yeah and then just like paddling back out um the back and then the second one he goes is equally as big and he just falls down Falls down and just like dislocates. Oh, I don't know if he dislocated, but he like zingered his shoulder or whatever. Russ called it like an old footy. You would probably know the footy yeah, the term. Burners, zinger. Yeah. yeah, the burners. Bang, just never seen him again. And, and then there, there was another ski out there now and it just took him in and I was just like stuck out there on my own. And I'm like, oh, well, I've got to kind of like, he's gone now and he just did that. Like I've got to paddle out and do something. I ended up sitting out there for an hour, didn't catch a wave got the ski home with Russ and I said, get home. I was like, how'd you go? It was pumping. Did you get a few? And I'm like, mate, I didn't even catch a wave. <laughs> <He was> like, <laughs> didn't want one. And he was just like, oh, really? Yeah. And like, he didn't even think it was that big of a deal. You know, he was just like thinking it was pumping and like, he just genuinely wanted it. And it was just like the craziest ocean. Um, and I'd have, I've got countless, like that. They, I've got countless stories similar to that, but that was just like the environment we were in like the isolation, the size, the, the difficulty of those conditions like really stood out to me. Um, so that like hopefully that paints a bit of a picture. Yeah. And then like, what, like how we got together, yeah, like toe surfing, yeah, it did bring us together. So Morgs was, he was from the same town, like Mollymook, probably grew up like a kilometre away, but he was five years older. So he was always the, you know, like those surfers in the area, they're five years older and they're, they're on that trajectory we, we never really hung or anything. I guess we just had that mutual, like, hey, but, like, never really hung out. And then I, he was about, must have been about early 20s, like, just coming off the junior series, maybe dabbling with a few QE's. And I was about 16. And he really just, yeah, took me under, took me under his wing and we ended up getting it, um, buying this old, like, surf club ski that had, like, a rebuilt motor in it. And it was only, like, a couple of grand. So we jumped in on it together and then we just started doing little missions down to to Vico and then towing the reefs around home and um, that just happened to be around, this, that was the time that Depo really came on. So he must have had, I think he had that vision that he wanted to do that and he was just kind of looking around town for like someone who he could like take with him and he, I guess he kind of invited me in a way and like kind of said like this is on, on the table and I kind of, Went with him a bit. Mm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, this kid's almost good enough. So uh <laughs> he'll do it.
2: He's like almost got his L's and I'll yeah, yeah. take
1: He'll <laughs> <laughs> learn or he won't. Uh man, that's crazy. Cause yeah, Depot it's insane to think where that wave's at now and how many people want a piece of it and and f- for so long it it was there but barely surfed or, or, or towed only. And it, Man, just such a remarkable wave. It's so crazy to see the level of uh, commitment to it now, paddling it, and how many people are willing to have a cracker. I, I trip out on it. It's something I'll never really get my head around because it's, I think, probably the most technical paddle wave on earth. I, can th- I can't I can really think of one that's like, because it looks like pipeline, but pipes got little chip ins, and, and, and there's like kind of perfect ones you can get out there. Whereas, and you're not riding fucking nine and ten foot boards and shit. So, um, yeah, I mean, what's it like for you watching the, the development of, of that wave and the way it's surfed? So, and, and talk us through some of your early days out there. I mean, that that stuff with Morgs, I'm sure, was some pretty fucking cowboy spec shit.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm with you Like on the... Um, I can't wrap my head around it either, and I don't think I ever will, and I don't really want to. Like, I, when I go there now... Like I don't – I'll hand on heart say I don't want to paddle depot like solid. It's, it's just – I'm just not feeling it. Something about being backside out there and on the big board and it just feels ultra dangerous to me. And I don't have the confidence to – I feel like I'm just going it because I feel like I need – I have to because I'm out there or something and I always feel that when I go there. I, I'm like, oh, I'll go because everyone is and, you know, like got to be in it to win it. Like something might come. That's what yep.
1: that's what feels like is behind the boon in popularity too, because a lot most people are seem to be getting flogged out there. You know,
2: yeah, ma- yeah maybe. I, I, yeah, you'd have to ask them. Like, it blows me away. Like the the abilities that find themselves out there, and they send like so they're going like so. I'm like, what? And like they'll just cartwheel down the face, and if that board collects them in the wrong spot, or that like you know it's it's relatively shallow. Like, dudes hit like dudes hit faces, dude hit hit bodies, and like on the bottom. So. It's, it's such a crazy wave. Just like you said, like it is like pipe and when you watch it on footage, it doesn't do it justice like at all. So it gives that pipe impression but it's just got so much to me, it's got so much more water in it. It's, it's like you have to be right in the spot. You've almost got to be taken off like behind it too to get properly pitted like and so that's, that's a scary thing in itself. Like a lot of the times I've set up to try and get properly pitted, I just bail out to the right. And I'm like on the shoulder on the right, you know, and I'm like, whoo, avoided that one. Um Yeah, so when yeah, when Morgs and I got first got together, I think it was just after actually, like we'd been hanging and he'd been like, Do you wanna do you wanna sort of do this? And we're like, Yeah, yeah, but we hadn't gone and got the ski yet. And um it was that swell back in two Oh, am I gonna butcher these dates? I don't know. I was sixteen, he was twenty one. Might have been two, so if I can work was it two eleven? No idea, you know that one. It was like the east coast, there when, was a like um, huge swell. Um, and Nath
1: Bartlett got the cover of surfing World nah,
2: nah. So it was like way before that. No, nah, that, that? That, that was 214. That was, um, bro. that was Mad Monday on it's on 214. So we're talking, it was like pretty much the first time Depot like hit Hit the media, right? Um, oh, okay. Like the McDonald brothers were surfing it, yeah. Um, Trent was Trent Munro, I don't know. There was like, it was huge, it was like. Probably close to twenty foot depths, wow. like there was like twenty foot depths so on it, they were breaking a bit sort of wider and fatter on the reef, but then there was like sort of nearly fifteen foot square ones Morgs, Morgs ended up getting the cover um and that kind of burst him into that free surfing like sort of slab big wave realm um, but yeah, so I was sixteen, and it was I think it was a Sunday, and we didn't even have a ski and our mate. Our mate Chuck has a ski and he's like a mechanic and like doesn't. he just uses it for fishing and doesn't have a clue about the ocean. And um, Morgs is like, we're using Chuck's ski. You want to come and tow me? And I'm like, yeah, all right. He's like, yeah, I went to this wave. He surfed it through the week for the first time. He goes, this wave is gnarly. It's so good and it's going to be pumping this weekend. So you want to drive me? And I, I don't, I'd never driven before and I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll drive you. Yeah. We got down there and it was like, it was 20 foot and he's just like, yeah, drive and he's like, I don't I don't care. Don't pick me up. Like I don't want you we don't want to sink our mate's ski. Like he's worried anyway about what the conditions this ski's in. He's just like, just get me in. I don't care about how fast you get me in, just let me go on the top and then just go wide wide around and pick me up on the inside. I don't care. I'll be fine. So I'll just get it. i just drive, let him go, and he just like I think he got like 10 waves that day it was like incredible like standing in these like 15 foot pits wow and then he wasn't he wasn't really making them because he was just putting himself in there and so i'd pick him up on the inside and just like how was that he's like sick like i'd get him in, and he'd just go back around just all day um on the biggest ones and people always say to me like oh did you get a wave that day and i'm like no nah, i didn't because i didn't think anyone was making him because Morgan wasn't making any and i'd get him after and he'd just be like Oh, that was so big, and that was gnarly, But let's go again. I just assumed no one was making them, um, and then I like, yeah, and I didn't really know how big it was either because I was just out the back on the ski doing doing stuff with him. Had no idea, but he just sent it. Yeah, got the cover, and then from there he's just like, let's get a ski, and then and then that's where things went on. So that was the start of depths. That's when it really got publicized, and and then everyone started to figure out how it where it broke, and then there was, there's been like. Probably like two or three marquee days since then, um, but they were all tow orientated. That that Mad Monday swell when Nath Bartlett got that that crazy one on the cover of Surfing World. That was they were mainly tow days, um, and that's that's my experience of the wave too. Was mainly tow. There, there was definitely a couple of years there where that was my favourite wave because you know we we're towing in, just getting let in behind this, mm. and just coming around to these like twelve foot pits and it like couldn't have been better and you weren't you weren't interfering too much with anyone then like everyone was kind of in the same realm and because we kind of had been surfing it, we felt like we were there somewhat from the start like I know people were surfing it before there's guys from down south that had been surfing it but we felt like we we're in that group of like definitely not ownership but like you know like if, if a set comes like we put our hand up for it so there was some uh, such sick years and I swear it just used to break more There was those really clean south swells and and morning offshores and, yeah, we just had some mental sessions out there. Um, Yeah, it was cool.
1: Amazing. And then from there, I mean, you might not have got one that day, but you end up getting plenty over the next few years. Like, talk us through some of the adventures that you guys were going on and, uh, you know, how wild they were. It was such a a radical crew that you were rolling with at that stage, Audie, Russ Lord former western reds adelaide rams super league fucking rugby league player and uh epic surfing photographer iconic photographer and just a fucking pretty hard dude uh you know who's up for adventures jughead yeah. Morgs. uh fuck i don't know who else was in your rat pack but like that's i mean whip and uh, i guess later on whip and and, and marshy and and, and ross yeah, yeah. and those guys too yeah um Mate, yeah, talk us through some of the, the wilder adventures because you guys were, that, that was such a trippy period of surfing where there was so much emphasis on towing and it, it really led to just waves that were barely surfed and barely surfable and not even surfed anymore. Like it's kind of written off.
2: Yeah, it it was a pretty amazing like, it's probably like a five-year period there where we were just, we were on a lot. Hey, like, Morg's was on a lot more than me. He was... He was like quite heavily sponsored at that time, and almost you'd say he was in like the top three kind of free surfers in Oz at the time, yeah, like right. behind maybe Matthews and a, and a couple of others. Um, but yeah, we just were, were on it, eh? And like, yeah, the crew—it was—it was such a good crew. Like Jug, like anyone who knows Jug, like you don't even have to say about him—he's just an absolute maniac. And um, he's had a couple of star turns really? on this podcast <laughs> over the years real funny and just like they were just the best like i was always the young one you know and they, they were just like so good to me and just like treated me so well and just like looked after me and like never made me feel like ne- there was never grommet abuse or whatever i was just like one of them and same with russ like th- those boys had like 10, 10 years on me but they just felt like such good mates and i think because the places we were going were so so psycho and so remote and everyone just had this equal like respect but yeah we went to I mean, we made that this movie called Lost and Running, like way back. I think it was like my first year out of high school and, and Morg's and a guy called Nigel Davenport shot it from home and um it was like this Australian road trip and we we drove this red van just across from Aladala from to, to Margis essentially and, and made a made a movie of it and you know, got to surf the amazing waves in the desert and and um went and looked at Cyclops and went and looked at Cyclops's big brother out the back. I can't remember what it was called. And, um, yeah, just going to all these crazy waves. And, and we had, like, a good connection with the bodyboarders too. So generally, like, say, like, Russ Ord or Rod, Rod Owens were going on a trip with, with bodyboarders, they'd almost be like, oi, boys, like, why don't you drive over and, like, and then we can shoot everyone, you know? And there was this, like, mutual thing happening and that was just happening everywhere from Vico to... To West Oz, to um, South Oz, like all those sorts of things. And, and it just seemed to pump around then. Um, so, yeah, like I remember we were, we were in like South Oz once, like getting pumping waves, and we drove across the Nullarbor to surf. Like, this is the kind of missions we do. We drove across the Nullarbor to surf like Cyclops's big brother, and it was just like, nobody around. you have so many. I don't know how many kilometres out of sea. It's so remote, so shallow, so psychic. Kind of those waves that Kirby Brown's, you know, seen seen mm. him facing monsters and just surf like being there, like the bottom of the bottom of Australia and like so secluded, so raw, so sharky, so everything. Um and just yeah, just the mental experiences and Then driving back, surfing a swelling South Isles, driving back over to West Isles. Like we'll just on missions, and it was just such a good time, and we we're all so keen and kind of pushing each other. Um, can't really think right now, like anything that like crazy stands out. There was there was just so many, um, like those lunar lunar park sessions and yeah things like that, you know. And yeah, and then obviously whip and rust, and that came as as Morg sort of had to drop off. And I wanted to speak a bit more about Morgs earlier, but as he had to, you know, take on, like, life responsibility, he had kids, and then it kind of started to hang out with, like, yeah, Whippy, Scott Dennis, and, and Russ was, you know, growing up, becoming a teenager and, like, absolutely schooling us. And um, and then we just kind of kept it going for a few more years.
1: Mm. Yeah. Mm. Man, that's crazy. It's, Because uh, a lot of those waves at that point, they definitely weren't mainstream, like, as in not just the psycho slabs but even those regions like that they weren't on the map social media didn't exist yet so uh you would have just fairly had the run of the joint for fucking years there like that was kind of the golden age i guess of of slab surfing where board technology kept up with surfers' abilities and you had the waves on your doorstep it was just a matter of fucking getting on the getting on your your kids uh riddling and driving 20 hours to fucking (laughs) get to the joint uh but, yeah, oh, that's, I love hearing that stuff, man. That's classic. I mean, is there any situations where you guys uh, really had to pay to play, uh, you know, bad injuries, suffered way out to sea? Uh, fuck, I mean, it, it seems like an inevitability. And the, the top guys in that realm have all, have all copped them, Brendo, Kirby, uh, and so on. Yeah, any hairy situations? I mean, I know you've had one, which we can get to. Oh yeah, so I guess yeah. Do you mean back in those days, hairy situations? Yeah, I mean, I just imagine fuck those kinds of waves way out to sea, getting fully peppered and rinsed, like pop shoulders, burst eardrums. Yeah, yeah, definitely.
2: um, Yeah, burst eardrums for sure. Um, That happened at the right on a different sort of swell. Had a shocker there, burst eardrum, but. Had one at, like just at home or so, like trying to trying this new bodyboard wave at home. Like never, never surfed it before. Never surfed it since. Like, um, pretty. It was a pretty amazing wave actually, and it, it was like the flavor of the month for a, a good year there. And the, and the bodyboards were all over it. And just like literally, it must have been must have only been I reckon half a foot of water because the minute I fell and got sucked over, I just like instantly. Um, just collected like the top of my nose, kind of, and then it dragged along the bottom across like that part where between your nose and your top lip and um, just literally like peeled it back. And like it, it just felt like a scrape, it didn't even really hurt. It's like when you fall down to the ground, you kind of nose and, and mouth brush the ground um, and came up and like, yeah, that the top part of the lip was just like literally peeled the part that goes up to like the bottom of your nose down to the top of your lip was just like hanging down over my mouth um and i came up like spitting all this white stuff out and i'm like oh they're my teeth like they're they're skis but it was just like the cartilage in that fat bit of the top lip was coming out so i was like on my way to hospital going i've got no teeth maybe no lip um and like just just those sorts of injuries. Reef carts, like it's, it's so it's been so long. It's hard to think back to like crazy. Did, and you stuff. broke your neck, right? I broke my neck, but that wasn't. Yeah, it was only on a th- it was a three foot wave. Yeah, yeah. broke broke my neck and back. So that when you when you said the injuries, like that was the one that I went to in my mind. So and I'm that, kind of
1: struggling. That, I'll name it. the wave because I won't say where it is, but just so people are aware of the risks out of that wave, it, it was killers, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that has a fucking. It, it is on those days yeah. it it looks like the mountains, except that it has a fucking bone dry inside bit. Hey, if you mm. if you fall off, and I guess that's what is that what you hit? Yeah, yeah.
2: there's a bit of a story to that. So I
1: kind of almost pops out of the water. Uh, Yeah,
2: we driven to um, when when you see those swells down in South Orles, you know, you've got basically like two days to get there from Aladala, So you kind of got to make the call early, and we. We did this one time and we, but we didn't get to leave until like the Arvo. Like normally you try and leave in the morning, drive most of the day, get a bit of a sleep, drive the whole next, next day and get there by like say, hopefully by like 8 or 9 p.m. But this time we didn't get to leave till the Arvo. So we almost drove like most of the night, might have got like a couple of hours then had to do it again and probably didn't get in until like 3 in the morning. So like we were rocking up. To this, to Coney's, like the wave mm. nearby. And obviously everyone knows it. It's, and it's such a gnarly wave. And it was like morning sick. And it was, oh, had to have been like 12 foot. It kind of reminded me of the, that one that Dill Longy got recently. Like those big period days, but it was like not as clean as that either. Mm. But because we'd done the hard Longwave. yards...
1: It just it just before the trough, kind of just gets Yeah, like out. it's. Hucked even if he made
2: that, he was kind of doomed. Like yeah. I watched that till the end. I'm just like, it's that's it's, it Drew's was a bad so wave. Like, and yeah. it's not. It wasn't saying he wrote it bad. Like it was just like too big, too much water drawing off, it, and it just can't handle
1: it. And there's those there's pinnacles on the bottom, right? There's a yeah. lot of those reefs have those kind of pointy. What do they call them? Stalactites. Yeah, exactly. Like,
2: like the, those South Aussie rocks, they're just like so sharp and they're like vertical pinnacles. Mm. I know I know Russ talks about being rolled around down there and then just like bang, one hitting him like in like almost like the hip like almost towards the rib and the hip and he goes, If that had been my head, like oh, you know, and, and it happens to people all the time. Crazy
1: like, and crazy to think that him and Leroy were, were doing that go yeah. behind stuff at that wave yeah. on days like that. Yeah. And and you know, yeah, fucking you know russ putting himself in a hairy situation but Leroy, yeah. man holy oh, shit i mean God. i don't know how uh, how long <laughs> they kept doing that for because that was mad
2: I'm, I'm so glad Leroy got out of that um yeah. he i was it was sick and that, that was fun as well and Leroy, it was like fun journey to watch and stuff but like i always hear you talk about in the potty like your luck's gonna run it out. has to. and those waves he was going were so hectic, and he's putting him like I remember having having him behind me. And I was, I was like, I'm deep here and I'm nervous. And he's like ten, he's five ten meters behind me, just knowing every single time he's not making this. Like, can you imagine just pulling in way behind those waves, like? all the time and not knowing it's um,
1: mad it's it's the maddest might be the <laughs> maddest thing that's ever been done in surfing like because even surfing those waves is considered fairly mad mm. to surf them with almost no hope of making them yeah and a massive housing in your hand yeah it's fucking as tapped as it gets
2: but oh. i'll go back to yeah why i was at currently because it leads into this it's just a quick little mm. story before it leads into killers um and we're just like all right let's go we'll, we'll, we'll go out and just because we'd been there, we'll go have a look and we had Benny Serrano with us. Mm-hmm. Um, the violinist, <laughs> the violinist. <laughs> and he was like, <laughs> our, he was our test dummy, you know, like it's like, yeah. like, you see, like, oh, it's pretty hectic. Benny, you want one? Like test, and see how you go. And he got a couple and he made them, and I was like, sweet. And I got this one, I was, I was like super in two minds every wave. I probably surfed about three or four waves, maybe made a couple, but a couple chandeliered on me and, um, and then I came down this one and it was like, it was it was big. It was like probably ten to twelve, and it just had so much water in it. And I just looked, and I just knew it was going to close. So I, I went to I went to pull out the back, but you know those waves they have like that. They have the face, and then they have the almost the horizontal. Like how do I say like the forty five degree angle bit above them that's just carrying all that the back lip of the water. Mm. So I go to jump off what I feels like at the top but I land on that angle and it's almost like falling back down like a slide and I was like in the lip going, and I, and I knew it was only like a foot under me and I knew how hectic the bottom was at, at that way. and I'm like I'm, I'm gone like I'm going to become a paraplegic here or whatever and I just dropped with it and just went like oh, you've done it now and then I just like shot out the back like so within like a second I was just like looking out the back and watching sort of the ski trailing that had just towed me and just going like, and there was no waves coming. And I'm just like, what just happened? Like, I I thought I was about to get like the actual like pounding in my life. And I just dropped down. And it was like one of those weird moments where like that night I was lying in bed and it almost felt like I'd like, I was like, did something happen to me? Like, am I dead? And I'm like in some other like universe or something. And it really played on me for a couple of days. Um, And then we rocked up at Cody's. And as you said, it was just like the Ments, like, after surfing that stuff. Oh, a Killers. Sorry, uh, sorry, killers. Yeah. Kony's killers is three foot, just glistening. This looking so beautiful. And I'd never surfed it. And I'm like, Oh, how's these playful little beautiful waves. And out we go. And there was like dolphins out there. And, and it was like my second or third wave. I just chased this like little double up. It was just like moving in on the reef. And I'm like, Oh sweet. I'll give it a crack. And I, I knew I was deep, but I, I just felt, I was like, Oh, it's, it's, it's mellow. I'll just, I'll just give it a try. and um. Yeah, pulled, just went, went for it and pulled in and then the shocky grabbed me and um, it lifted me. You know, when that shocky does, it like lifts people but and I was still attached to my board. So my feet were locked in and it sucked me up. So I just like went up in the shocky attached to my board and then I, the lip caught me. And so I'm like standing pretty much in the yeah. lip then, and then it just tossed me. Backwards, threw- head first yeah. over the yeah, falls. Exactly. The classic, the yeah.
1: South classic, yeah. the fucking slab classic. Man, I've been in that situation and thought the exact same thing was going to happen to me. Yeah. It's, and it, it rattles you for days. Right. And you, and you, and your number came up on this yeah, one. Yeah,
2: this one this one came up. So I it threw me and it took me it scorpion me that hard that it actually hit like the front of my forehead. So I've done like the yeah, I've gone fully over and just bang straight down on the on the front of the forehead, basically on the hairline. Oh. And um just like that just that instant like bang and then yeah, like I was like just winded to the point where I could pretty much like just lift my arms like a little bit above the water. And all I could do was uh, like that sort of noise. And there was like blood um, falling into the water from the, from the head gash. And I just had to kind of like let myself get, get washed in to the rocks and like coming on those rocks, able bodied is, is gnarly. And I just, I, I barely could move. Like I could get onto my knees maybe and, sat to get like washed up onto them um onto my knees and luckily my my mate darcy ward who was filming was there to like help me get up and at the time like because you you know you're in the remote desert and you you know you're hurt but you just you don't know how bad you don't want to it's it's funny to say but you don't want to like let the boys down and be like am i just winded like they're they're getting pumping waves like i don't want to drag everyone away to hospital and i was just sitting there and i'm like oh i'm pretty cooked and like they're like, how how bad? And I'm like, oh, I think bad, but just just let me sit with it. And then it was like it was around that like four PM time. So it was like the sun was starting to come down. I'm like, if I don't get out of here here now, like I just I'm just not sure. And they're like, Do you want us to get a helicopter? And I'm like, No, I'll give it a go. So I ended up walking Ended up walking, um Yeah, back to the car, like with this with this injury. Um and this had like two two lads under each arm, and it took took us about forty five minutes to get back to the car. And like by the time I got back to the car, I just I knew something was wrong. I think we're halfway up the hill. This is when it really hit. We're halfway up the hill, and someone's like, "Oh, someone's on one." And I went to turn my neck, like just to check it, and I just got this like like this feeling just go through my body and through my head. And um, I'm like, yeah, okay, I've done something serious here. So just got driven to. Sejuna hospital there at like the nearest hospital and obviously the facilities there are pretty not the best so they were like well we can't really scan you anyway so basically just had to cut the wedgie off throw the catheter in without any the
1: old catheter
2: pain release you a know, couple of pain them. relief and fuck those things and what they did is they like wrap me up in you know when like you're a spinal um patient and they they wrap you up in those like suction things and Put your hands up onto your chest and they they wrap you up and suck and then you're like restricted, you can't move a muscle. And he just fed me up on morphine. I had a pretty empty stomach from surfing all day. And he's like, Okay, the, the, the chopper will be here in four hours. And I'm like, What? Like, and he's like, Yeah, yeah. So just chill. And then he went out of the room and was just like seeing, you know, he was just like, I think there was only one or two people on. So I was just lying in this pretty dark room, like projectile vomiting from the morphine just feeling so rubbish and then I ended up yeah getting airlifted to to Adelaide Hosie and spent like five days in the spinal unit there um just like on my back just listening to the most like awful sounds and people in like terrible conditions and I'd ended up so I fractured my t5 t7 in the thoracic spine and then like somehow like I fractured my C1, like, which is, you know, like one of the most gnarly ones, but it didn't, like it didn't impinge or anything. Like I just must have done like a light. So I was super lucky and I chipped the, I chipped like the base of the skull where it meets the neck too. Um, so yeah, just out of the water for six months and um, yeah, just in those like body brace things that you, you get. So that w- that's that's the gnarliest injury that has happened for sure. Surfing.
1: Fuck, man. That is insane and yet the the commonality of conditions like that, you surf waves like that all the time and you get into situations like that fairly often and yeah, that's how it can end. Mm. You, you kind of have that inkling when it happens. Mm. You're like, fuck, that seemed pretty close. That, I was out of control there. I had, no, I had no say in how that ended up. Yeah. And um, oh, that's rattling, man. And, and just even like driving out of that zone with a spinal injury, it's bumpy and fucked like, Mm. and you know, as you know, with spinal injuries at that point, you don't know the severity of it. So, you know, like you could be fine and then it slips and the disc cuts the cord and you, you're fucked forever. Oh man, that's psycho. Yeah. Fuck. Um, yeah. How are you going for time, man? Good. You good? Yeah. Sweet. Oh, sweet. Um, man, I'll just pause this for one second and save it check 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 good to go oh man yeah just had a little sound operation there but uh yeah man i'm fucking tripping on that story eh? oh it's wild um yeah and so i mean talk us through like i guess once russ comes on the scene uh yeah like that must have been something to see. It was pretty crazy. Like, talk us through watching him develop as well. Cause I can remember b- being, you know, on one of those slabs and I feel like he was like uh, down where you live and, you know, he's like fucking nine or 10 years old and already getting better waves than full grown men with a little GoPro in his mouth. I'm not sure how old he was, but he, he was like a little kid. Yeah. And you're just going, like, what the fuck is this? This is psycho. There's a, a small child putting people to shame in proper heaving slabs. Um. yeah I mean what was your relationship with Russ growing up and ha- how helpful was it having a guy like that in, in your crew kind of did it push push you guys
2: yeah um, it was really cool watching Russ come through like he you, you know you, you eye off the grommets and he, he there was just something about him from like day dot and as you said like his performances at those like ages of like 11 or 12 were like already adult level, you know, and he, you know, he's 11 or 12, like just matching everybody in the lineup. And you're like, what, like, where is this going to go? So I was very conscious of like what he, where he could go. Um, And I like made a point of um, trying to help that wherever I could or just like be around it. Like I... I could just feel I had this like some sort of connection with him where I'm like, you are a beast. I'm going to learn a lot from you and like just enjoy this ride wherever you go. Um, And he was just like such a quirk, just the way he looked at it from an early age. He was like that half scientist, half like maniac kind of, but like a very calculated sort of scientist, like a mad scientist, but so onto it, so skilled, fearless. And just like everything is around positioning and we and like how he's going to do that and he'll he'll watch the clips and like really analyze observe and like come up with a new line next time and I'd never really been around someone who who looked at surfing like that and that was from like an early age so I actually took him to to from his first like trip away from his parents um Marty Elliot came and um Russell Aud and and Russ and I think he was like I'm in the ballpark of like 14 or something. So I got him out of school and like his dad, and his dad's an absolute legend. Like Kirk, he just, he'd, he'd shaped all our guns and this like champions from like Santa Barbara. So he's got that American accent, hell funny. And
1: We actually had uh, Robbie Page around here the other night um, on the Volcano Bongs with Page, on your pagey. <laughs> but uh, he was telling us about like his kind of early days in Hawaii and that Kirk was the guy at, uh is it avalanche what's the big left avalanche is Himalayas? Himalayas, that, that big left they surf yeah. like he was the guy out there for that generation yeah. he was number one yeah and riding on boards he made himself like it <laughs> doesn't get more fucking core cool and <laughs> mental than that so like the pedigree in russ is second to none really
2: kirk he's so core, cool. yeah like and you kind of got to get it out of him to say that like i'm sure he, he would be an amazing podcast but he was one of the guys there for sure and he like he just he's just dedicated his whole life to that um and he he used to speaking of his seasons in hawaii kirk he's like he used to go natural and goofy so he'd go natural on the right goofy on the left so apparently he had people over there going who like, have you got like a twin or something <laughs> Like i've been what? seeing you like ha- going ham on left goofy and then i see you and then I see you on a right and he, and he threw a few people off and he was like, no, nah, it's me, I, I do that. So he, he had a really bad knee or ankle injury um, when he was like early 20s or late teens or something and he, and he learnt to go both ways because the backside pig dog for him was so restricted. No way. He learnt. So he just used to go into Porto and go natural and goofy on like, you know, just bombs. And, um,
1: Mate, he was the original Hawaiian switch foot way before yeah. <laughs> jamie o'brien way before yeah decades
2: so that's that's where russ is coming from his mom and his mum leanne like they're just a beautiful family and like um just that like got that quirky side and um so anyway back yeah took him down and just when i really realized like holy smokes like he's sky's a limit sort of thing it was it was pretty wasn't like I mean, not for what he gets up to these days, it wasn't hectic, but for a 14-year-old kid, like it was six foot backless waves. Um, I would have been, if he's 14, I must have been early 20s. Marshy would have been probably 20 and kid you not, he absolutely like schooled schooled us, you know, and like I was in what I considered like the the height of what I could achieve and here he here is, is eight years younger 14 on his first trip away never surfed a joint before or maybe once before and just putting on an absolute clinic and like and you just had to like, i just loved it you know Like, there might be certain people that that might rub you up the wrong way and you might get a bit who knows like could take it funny but for me i'm just like oh, i just want this kid to to succeed and like really get to show like just to live out his potential basically and and I feel like he has to a degree because, um, you know, obviously his performances and winning Cape Fear and that, but oh, like he's he's got more in him. That's the crazy thing. Like I don't feel like he, he, he would feel the same. I'm sure he'd admit that. He, he could do more if he gets more opportunity. Like we, he lives on the East Coast of Oz, right? And like and Matt, if, he, if you put him in swell after swell after swell, I, 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 he's on par with anyone in the world at any wave I would feel. Um, it's just getting him to have the opportunity for him to be feeling it and like he could do some break breakout performances.
1: There needs to be more investment from the surf industry in that space of both big wave events and slab events. It's really like the pinnacle of surfing in my opinion mm. and yet it doesn't really exist in any like competitive structure. I mean, yeah, the, the big wave world tour, is that thing still going anymore? No, nah, oh. it's not. And yeah. it was not a good viewing spectacle just because of, like, it had its moments, but fuck, it was, you know, a lot of the time, really slow swells, dude, mm-hmm. sitting there for ages, and, you know, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a drop a lot of the time on all those waves. But, yeah, man, I, I just want to see that side of surfing funded and, and guys like Russ get the opportunity over and over again to show us what they can do. Um, fuck, it's, it's the pinnacle, man. And you, you have to be, yeah, like you said, that mix of the mad scientist and just plain mad. Like you have to be able to be super calculated in those situations. Otherwise, yeah, you get done up and you got to love it too. You know, like you you have to really enjoy the challenge and and have all that self-belief and you know, the best guys all do Mel Baker fucking, uh, you know, Bjorky like it's, it's a rare breed. It's fucking amazing to watch. And what was the story? Uh, you guys went was it in maybe that, that film car park stories was it when you guys were down in, uh, down at Coney's and, and, and Slater was there and Russ was out there again like kind of rattling the goat's cage amazing <laughs> he's like 16 at this point yeah, we,
2: we went down there thinking, Oh yeah, so we're gonna, you know, get this like thought of thinking was sneaking under everyone's radar and then Russ comes in with goat, you know, and um
1: Oh Russ was there with goat. Yeah, Russ oh, yeah, he wasn't with us. Kirk and
2: Goat are mates, huh? Kirk and Goat are mates and I think they linked up with a bunch of crew and Yeah, and again, another that was, that might have been like a year or two later. I'm guessing. I don't, I don't really know, but he just, yeah, just put on absolute clinic, you know. And that, it was that those waves are similar. It was almost like the waves that I saw him surf when he was 13 or 14 and then he might have been doing this next one at 15 or 16 and they were like, it was just a six-foot bigger version and he was playing with it exactly the same. He was like playing with it and experimenting with it and going deeper in everyone. And, and yeah, like you said, when you love it and when you like – actually live and breathe it and like you just create those opportunities for yourself and everyone's always like, oh, Russ is always on the biggest ones. And I'm like, or like Russ got another nugget. And I'm like, of course he did. Like, he's like never stops analysing the surf and he just puts himself in that place that, that no one else really wants to or no one takes the time to and he, and he just sees things that others don't.
1: It's crazy to be in the lineup with him when it's consequential and the way, when he sees the wave he wants, the way he spins and goes for it, it's like he could paddle through a brick wall yeah like he's just (laughs) fucking (laughs) yeah the eyes are like just bug eyed and he's just head down like just steaming into this thing yeah man and uh crazy to note too like on that day this is one of my favorite stories in surfing on that day that russ is putting on a clinic in front of the goat and gets that Remember, he gets that crazy (laughs) He kind of backflips out of it at the end it was a fucked up one and Kirk is a few headlands away, well, more than a few, but, like, on that same stretch of coast. And I believe getting the uh, uh, the Australian Big Wave Award that same day on a, on a bommie that was, like, you uh, know, in, in the kind of 15 to 20-foot range. But, like, this very same day, his son is absolutely breaking new bounds for, for teenage fucking cone conquering. And he's uh, up the coast getting fucking an Oakley big wave award, whether he won it or a nomination, I'm pretty sure he won it. And, um, you know, he's what fucking, like, I want to say, I wonder how old he was at that point, probably in his forties, maybe uh, even older. would have been 50. Yeah. That's fucking mind melting. That's as cosmic as it gets. It's so crazy. Mm -hmm. It's amazing, man. Um, yeah, man. And I guess like, so a few other things you've got going on, uh, well, obviously, so the trajectory of your life, like you, you did do the junior series, you know, you were a high-profile sponsored surfer. Um, I don't know whether you got the amount of money you needed to to fully live off it for periods, but I can remember when you were a fixture in surfing magazines and in films. Um, you did the junior series, what like kind of like similar vintage to like Ando and Owen and those guys. Yeah, how, like how, what was your, your experiences of, of competing? Did it interest you much or, you know, I mean, it, it's, you guys from Mala Dollar, it must be difficult. You probably have that kind of Hawaiian or West Oz mentality where, you know, the waves are so good at home and you're up the coast fucking groveling in some <laughs> shitty beach break. I can't imagine it's that satisfying.
2: <laughs> yeah, um, it was the same age as Owen. So, I mean, back then there was so many junior comps you know you could really like grind away at that from a like region level all the way up to a national level um so yeah like I loved it eh? I really like liked that side of things and when you're young like that you're not even really I wasn't really looking at the slabs at all until I was like you know 16 so that junior side was just really trying to compete and kind of loved it had had good results um Pro junior wise, I, coming into my last year of pro juniors, I, I broke my leg and um, so I only really surfed in two or three but it was so weird. I came back from breaking my leg and i would just been, I used to labor um, in on, um with my mate who's a tiler and paver and we used to go into pools and come into a concrete pool and, and do all the waterline and then do pave the coping and just do that for the summer to make money. and. There was a Red Bull comp, um, one of those Mick Fenning like, comps that were around like 10 years ago and they were the richest pro junior um, event and it was in Cronulla and I was living there doing it. I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. And I was still like a little bit ginger um, and I ended up winning. Um, and it was like 10K back then. Won, wow. Won the pro, yeah. Beat, remember Tamaroa McComb from Tahiti? Yeah. yeah. So he was in the final and like, like went through it. And I'm like, I always knew like I had the ability to go well, but there's just like... When you're like eight, like how's like you're trying to go the pro juniors and go well and you're 18, like just going all these places at 18, like you're just going, You'd be going, going ham and yeah. you're not even, you just don't understand that like that they matter at that point. You just, you're just you kind of in that headspace where you're like, I'm doing this, how good is it? And it's kind of fun. I don't really care how Nothing I go. Nothing matters after Nothing four matters. beers though. That's yeah, the problem. <laughs> Why? And it just seems like, it's always just like, oh, you know, like later I'll, I'll, i'll get better later or something and that's um, your window and, eh? yeah and it's a
1: tight window that one yeah Fuck, man you see careers go by the wayside yeah. just from not fully taking advantage of that brief window mm. 18 to like 22 eh? they yeah. give you like one year on the queue yeah. two years on the queue to show what you can do and if you're not like right on the cusp of qualifying you're fucking axed yeah and
2: and i guess and that just shows, I don't think I made another heat. I went in, I won that one and I was just like, wow, cool. And I, I might have like taken it a bit more serious and I went and just didn't make another heat. So that pretty much sums up like how I was as a competitor. And I think because I was already doing those those trips with Morgs, and I was kind of dabbling with that and I already knew the potential and the impact that the video photo route could have and that was a more attractive future for me. So it was always like I was kind of trying to juggle the baskets, but probably putting more into the video on that anyway. So that showed in the results. Um, so yeah, that was my junior. I had a few crack at the QE's and stuff when I was like in my early 20s. I think I did like two knocked first heat, and then I went, okay, that's just, that's just like the writing's on the wall. Definitely like I love surfing all conditions and I still watch all the comps and I follow that stuff and, just a huge fan of the sport, but it just wasn't for me.
1: Mm. Yeah. And then uh, when does the, the desire to write start to set in? Like you've had many articles published in surf magazines. You've got a sub stack, is it?
2: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's on pause
1: at the moment. Yeah, the sub stack. fair yeah, enough. Yeah, go bit on. going on. But, uh, yeah, like, you know, talk us through when that desire sets in, but also, you know, some of your your favorite stories that that you've written over the years.
2: Yeah, I think, like, you go away. Like, podcasts weren't around back then, right? So, you're going away on these trips and you're you're seeing and involved in all these crazy things. And, like, you just... There's only so many times you can tell that story before everyone's like, yeah, we've heard it, you know, or you're just, like, reliving that moment. I just... I just wanted to like write about the stuff because I, I guess I'm someone who like thinks over like long periods of time about stuff and that's how I like to put it on the paper. Um, not very good at like answering things like straight off the bat. I like to like marinate on them a little bit and I think also like with with that free surfing um, path, if you're not at the top, top end, the money's like okay, but it's not that good. So in a way, like the writing for me was... It was a passion I don't know where it came from like at school English was always my my strength subject um just just connected with me somehow I just like maths wasn't and English was and um, I just went with that and never tried to change that was just like yeah just how it is and I never really wrote much until I was about 20 and then I just started writing these stories and yeah to go back to that was like you could go on these video photo shoots and and get the photos, and then you could actually be the surfer in them and the person writing. Mm. So it would subsidise the trip a little bit, and therefore make you a little bit more. Um, you know, like if you're from a sponsor's point of view, like, well, this guy's going to be doing this for the company, and he's going to write down. And so and same for the mags, like you would be providing them with um, the photos and and the the writing. So that's more attractive for them, obviously. So it's a good way to almost continue doing what you're doing you, you you're getting paid a little bit to do that and 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 you're providing that non-stop so it, it fuels itself so that's where it really so I was treating it somewhat as a passion and somewhat as like an extra bit of money um to get me by and then yeah like I think like you I really just got in I just like fell in love with this like storytelling and then and then telling people's stories so like we'd be in these car trips with. Benny Serrano like across the desert and he'd just be like spewing out his life like two or three hours and telling the most insane stuff and I'm like people need to hear this like this is just you're just going to tell me this and it's just going to be lost into the into the air so I just started to like interview people like while we're on those trips and there's so much free time and and then I just started yeah just I know intertwining like interviewing them writing about stuff like so at the end of the day i might just just jot down a few notes and then when I got home and like marinated on the trip I'd, I'd finish it and then it, and, it, and um, sorry get more into it and write something in depth and then it allowed me to like reflect and then I was also thinking like these will be stories that I can use later and then to go back to Substack like yeah I started my own Substack page which is a it's like this online platform for, for freelance writers where people subscribe to your page and back then you know mags were every month so you'll write a story it would it would it'd be in there and then two, two mags later or something that thing's gone like mm-hmm. people might read it on the dunny every 10 years or something so i pretty much just recycled that content and put it back on substack for a couple of years and just got some fresh eyes on it and didn't didn't go any good or anything but like it was fun fun process just to like relive some of that stuff and and share it with people who might not have might not have seen it back well,
1: then yeah i mean i'm sure you get a bunch of traffic out of this podcast like uh what's it called how do people access
2: um it's just brett so yeah. if you just type like that might be not the actual proper thing but if you type that in you'll get directed to that page um and yeah just to read the content you'll just have to subscribe to it um super cheap i think it's only like four dollars a month or something mm. And all the, a lot of that there'd be probably thirty stories on there in the library, um, and a lot of them the surfing ones that some of them I've probably told today, and just like all facets of life, interviews with like Peter Garrett and Sam Elsom, the guy from Sea Forest, you know, just just people doing like stuff that I I like and I really want to interview, probably similar to yourself, um, and then stories about our tales of travelling and. Um, yeah just all that sort of stuff. epic yeah it's
1: a good diverse catalogue yeah i like that mm-hmm. um and yeah benny strano you mentioned that was one of the, the better stories of yours that i've read you wrote a, a profile on benny yeah. tell us a bit about benny uh I, I actually watched that fight on youtube i think i got it from that article <laughs> uh, he, he fights that melbourne underworld figure i forget his name but he's dead now yeah benji veneman yeah mm. that's right yeah and it's a fucking like 10 or 12 round classic i believe it was like a draw even at the end of it or, or maybe benny yeah. won but it was tight and they went fucking hammer and tong it was epic
2: <laughs> yeah benny got the upper on him um so if you remember back that underbelly belly series with like carl williams and mick gatto and stuff mm. so benji was was in that um so yeah benny tells a story like my my mind's a bit rusty on, on that but like he just went down to fight him in this, like, warehouse in Melbourne and, like, all those underworld figures were, were kind of there, you know, wow. watching. So, Benji was, like, the guy coming through who was had some, like, respect on the street, obviously, and was, like, a mixture in there, But and they were all there to, to support him. Um, and Benny just had this crazy fight with... Um, with Benji in this warehouse and like you said went that went the full way. And Ben he, he said he didn't ever felt threatened and he didn't feel unwelcome. Like they were just like, all right, if you're coming down to fight, it's kind of on our terms. Like we'll pick the location, you're coming to fight here.
1: There's never a bit of an offer of a bit of back <laughs> sheesh for Benny. Throw the fight, go down the tent
2: <laughs> I don't know about
1: that. Fuck it, um, it. Imagine Mick Gatto coming up to you offering you a fucking suitcase yeah. of lobsters just to go down the 10th <laughs> and uh oh that's an obvious holy <laughs> shit
2: yeah your jaw had turned to glass pretty quick but um he he got him and then benji never never fought again so he obviously that changed his trajectory and he and he moved more to the underworld and wow. then obviously like lost his life there so um the story's coming out of benny serrano like at this next level and i yeah, I mean, I wrote about them. I guess I just when I had my back. So the the trip over to South Wales when I injured my back was when I was just like, you're kidding, Benny. This you, we got to write something on you. And then I did my back. So we're living close to each other. So he'd just come around and we'd just like have dinner, and I'd just put the recording on. I've had about ten hours of recordings of him, and I just I transcribed them word for word no. on my own. Like I didn't even You're know fooled. about like Rev and that back then. Oh, I, I, don't, just... I still
1: don't know about Rev. What the fuck's that? Transcribe. Me. I've got RSI from transcribing. It's the worst thing ever. It's so worse, worse for you than fucking bare knuckle yeah. fighting in Sydney. Wow.
2: Um, but yeah, then he's just a maniac. Just obviously someone who like fought for a living, and like the discipline that comes with that, and and like fought at a high level, like for Australia and and whatnot, and went to different places with like and trained with Costa Zoo and, and all that sort of stuff and then just fell in love like crazy with surfing you know those, those guys that come out of a really disciplined upbringing mm. a disciplined like sport and then he just like found his other love and just like almost put the same care into that um, and he was like you know in his 30s like just doing it for the absolute love like um, but just like just one of those like, I won't say, not, not punch drunk at all, but just like just the most funniest character, insane, charged hard and just had like story after story after story. And because he was like a muscular corrective therapist too, like he's, he's like um, a bodywork sort of guy. He, he used to travel with Dayan on the QS and, and around that time when, when Dayan made it on tour and, and he's got a good relationship with Goat. So he's just like connected in all these spaces and just got like funny... Funny humor on, on all that sort of stuff.
1: What was the story? Didn't the goat put you on blast once?
2: Yeah, goat got me. What was that goat about? Got me. Um, oh, he had a he had a right to. Yeah. So we were, was it South Stratty surfing. Um, it would have been day or two after one of the Quickie Pros wrapped up, and there was a Stratty so I don't don't even know what I was doing there. Was, yeah, but there was like a couple hundred people out as there always is at South Stratty, and a frame central and i guess like it was so packed and so hard to get a wave and i um was just like trying to get a wave, and i remember paddling for this wave and i wasn't in the great spot but i could just see this guy on a big board um right on the apex of the peak and i and i just saw him like throw the anchor up at the last minute so i'm like sweet i'm going and um went this way and I must have been a bit wide because I was arm barring as hard as I couldn't like just saw the lip come over so I was like Ugh. and then like kicked out or whatever and then just went and sat out the back I was just going this is cooked and like chatting to a few people and I was chatting to my mate or Nath Bartlett actually a good mate from south was living on the Goldie and we were just hanging and there was a lot of pros out. and I looked up and I'm like oh go goat. go out here and because I'd obviously surfed with him in in South Oz and we had like a yeah, you know, like we knew each other kinda of, and I'm like, oh god, say I hope he hope he paddles over, it'd be good to like say hello again. And um keep chatting and I look back up and he's and he's getting closer and closer. And like we're pretty far down Stratty, like we're pretty to the north. So I'm like, oh, must be like coming up just to sir. Keep chatting a minute later and I look back and he's now like only like twenty or so metres and there's not really anyone else between him and us. So oh, we're definitely on here and I'm like <laughs> I'm envisioning like, you know, a high, I have like hug, like how you been mate? And he just comes and, and I'm like, I'm looking at him as he's approaching and he's just not like, he's not happy at all. Um, and he just comes up and sits about a meter from my face and uh, just just sits up and goes, you just drop in on me? And I'm like, nah, like what? Like, and he's like, you just dropped in on me and I'm like, nah, I didn't like, just so shocked. Like, you know, just had no idea what was going on and he was just, you know, but you can imagine the dialogue, like he just dropped in on me and I'm like, Slats, I haven't caught a wave for like 20 minutes. He goes, it was 20 minutes ago and I'm like, what happened? He's like, I was like coming down deep on this one and, and you burnt me and I'm like, I didn't burn you, mate. I promise, like in my mind right now, I'm just like so innocent, just going, Slats is like melting here and he's got like the wrong the wrong bloke and and he's just like, you know, he, his nostrils were like flaring. Like he was, he was angry. Like yeah. he, he was, like he wasn't like fighting angry, but he was, he was just like pissed, as, as if someone had just dropped in on you, pissed. And um, he's like, I just like, you, I was like, okay, go through the sequence. And he's like, okay, I went this wave, you burnt me, I dropped in. I mean, I broke my board, so I've had to go into the shore. I've paddled back out. I've asked people up there who was it. They've said you, and I've come down to find you. And I'm like, let's go up there and see them. Like these people have got the wrong person take me to them and, and we'll sort this out. And he's just going, oh, and he was like looking down at the water. And I think because at that time I felt so innocent, yeah, I was just playing, like I, I was just, yeah, you just let, did letting yeah. that off. And he, it happens. so then his mind's just must've just been going like, oh wow, this is, you know, taking this path. And then he started to like calm down and he'd like look down at the water and he'd look like, look back up at me and then like look down at the water. And then like, I was like, look mate, I'm, I'm terribly sorry about your board. And like, this sucks. Like, if there's anything I can do, let me know. But I just think you've got mistaken identity. And then it went into like a little bit of small talk and like he was like, oh, I was pumping out a yes over here. And I was like, nah. And then a wave came. We kind of broke off. And I was just like, what the fuck just happened, right? And then like we were surfing around each other. And I just was like hooting him in the waves. And he was like hooting me in and like this awkward little thing. And then I paddled back up to my to Nath later and I'm like... Oh, See that? Like, and they like, yeah. And then he was sitting with another guy and he's like, what happened? I said, oh, Slats just thought I dropped in on him. He's like, oh, you did. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, yeah, you dropped in on him. Like, he was. He was coming like way behind this peak like in the perfect spot so he he's just,
1: whistled that dude had pulled back
2: <laughs> he's whistled him off to the boot the dude he was on like a i'm talking like an eight foot board this guy so yeah. slats has come from behind and i yeah. can't see him behind that <laughs> board so old mates and i was just thank you you know go <laughs> slats is just and like because i arm barred and barely got pitted like he would have just been in the perfect <laughs> spot like so like i know i now know and i'm just like oh and then i just like never told him like <laughs> just, like I had multiple opportunities and I was just like, it's just been too weird. Like I can't face this. I can't go through like telling him um, and I never did. And it was just like a laugh amongst the boys and everyone. But like, I just want to say like he had like every right to do that. He, it was sick. Like I respected him more. The way he did, I was like, oh, he's got go in him. And like, good on him. I burn him. I'm the, I'm the peanut I can't spell goat without goat. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, um, and then anyway, so I'm like, oh, it's a pretty funny tale. Like I might just write about that on the sub stack. And I reached out to him and he's like so down, going, no, is that you? I always wondered. <laughs> and, then, and then he gave me like these quotes. and he was like, I want to read it. And I'd send it to him and he'd just be like cracking up, going, that's sick. And that's funny he's ours. like been so cool like that. And every time I've ever reached out to him like for anything, like even when like our town got smashed by like bushfires and stuff, like mm. I just reached out and he's just like anything. Like, like he's so personable i reckon yeah so down for that sort of stuff and so yeah pretty classy
1: mate i love that story that is an absolute up. yeah <laughs> you can picture it you would have just knifed in got a crazy pump been flying <laughs> through the pit and you're just at the end of it just blocking the exits arm drag oh, my mate so
2: my mate had a photo of it no, like it leroy right. came leroy from yeah. the double toe was there and he shot it and I just go, don't you ever, <laughs> ever get like that. Almost like if I had to know a look at that. was. just snapped the little mini disc <laughs> and trampled up. If I had not know what an NDA was, I would have made him so I'm one because oh, right, right. I was like precious about it. And then later on, I was like, oh, let's, get, let's like show the photo. It's uh, classic. Is, it, like, is the photo on the it's substack? It's on the substack. No yeah. way. It's on my Instagram. It's like he's in the sickest spot and I'm just like the biggest peanut. Yeah, That's it's all classy. the time. <laughs> oh,
1: happens to the best. That's yeah. amazing, man um yeah well i don't know how, uh, how are you traveling you got probably yeah, road we'll go like 10 or something oh yeah, yeah sweet well, um
2: but happy to wrap whatever you want to do no
1: nah, well i was just fascinated to hear about on uh podcasting with brendo just about your, your battles with insomnia mm. um and yeah it's interesting when you kind of hit these mental challenges in life that it they can be so disruptive and demoralizing, but then they tip you into a newfound awareness and it kind of opens up a whole different reality and world that your otherwise idyllic existence allowed you to not look at and escape. Um, So yeah, I'm wondering how that battle of insomnia kind of shaped you and your understanding of the world. And also uh, just thinking out loud here, I wonder if that was related to having that, serious neck and and back injury like it's pretty hard to untangle these things like i don't think anything's really that separate like Mm. in your in your body and mind it can't be right it's it's one fucking fluent organism if there's blockages and breaks and heavy trauma locked up in the body then yeah it's it's going to come out in weird unpredictable seemingly unconnected ways but yeah yeah i mean talk to us a bit about that whole process no i reckon you put that you put that so well um especially at the
2: start there where you you know you go through those things and as as rattling and like confusing and confronting as they are like they they do they like they shape you and they move morph you into this place and then when you look back now you're like, i'm so like glad that that happened um and i feel like that like that goes for everything that happens in my life like that too um Feel like you're always, it's just like meant to be. And if you can, like, somehow get to a point where you can see that, like, it's, like it's frothing. Um, yeah, so could could link back to injuries. I think, like, I think everything's connected, like you do. Like, there's, I think it comes back to, like, those injuries, like, just the lives we'll leave, like, probably copped a few floggings, but then you're not looking after yourself like that either. It's not, it's not until something like that floors you forces you to actually like look into the like mechanics of your mind and like what's going on there mm. and like why are these behaviors coming up and yeah so basically in my teacher training um just got like with all the germs and, and with kids and stuff I just had this one placement where I got got really sick but um just had to continue on like mowing through life and it was like quite a severe sickness and I never got like tests or whatever. I just had like influenza A or something. No, it was just that like shit just rocks you, like
1: It's next level, like the actual proper flu. It's yeah. so underrated.
2: It was so next level and it was just dirty and like, I guess I just like kept burning the candle out and kept trying to tick all the boxes. And then it, it was just one of those ones that lingers for, might be like sick for two weeks, get good for a week. And you're like, sweet, I'm going to catch up on and just like train or like, go do this and then I'd like drop again for two weeks and it just got into my core and it like got into my soul almost. And um, I was just like, yeah, I was like Holly, my partner was living in Sydney at the time. So I was like bit back and forth from there and just like nonstop and went to Sydney one night and stayed at her place in Redfern and had this like, yeah, full-blown panic attack in, in her room and going like just before bed and like there was no trigger or anything. I just like had it and I'd never experienced something like that before never even probably knew about them at that time of my life um and it just like when you don't know something and then something hits you that hard and is, is that powerful and that confronting like it it just wigged me and um
1: what are the symptoms of a panic attack oh it's I just think like I had them, but i was just... like
2: yeah dis, i was just like i'm just guessing i'm just saying it was a panic attack it's self-diagnosed but like like uh what's the like what's it called disorientated like distressed like felt like the like the walls were like coming in on me um like just obviously like anxiety like shallow breathing just sweating like just just tripping out mm. like you're in a very safe environment but you feel threatened mm. in some way that that would be how i'd best explain it. and the threats to you like when you've got when you're thinking back now you're like how is that a threat but at the time it feels like a massive threat like the walls going to cave in or something
1: yeah, the body's in uh, the body's in fight and flight mode. Yeah, and you just uh, yeah, it's a cycle. Hey, that uh, fuck man, it's a deep entanglement. But yeah, that that fight and flight mode that and the shallow breathing seems to put you into that mode. Mm. Like, so you might not start in fight and flight, but just through seriously, it can be something as simple as sitting at a desk and drinking too much coffee and just the endless shallow breathing. Mm eventually tips your central nervous system into this super heightened, panicked state and you don't even know how you got there. Yeah. And then the way out for most people is to rush off to the doctor and they just give them Valiums. You know, mm. benzodiazepine, probably the most addictive drug ever created apart from meth maybe. Mm. Maybe it's worse than meth, I don't know. but.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the, the things like the avenues you explore and that drug avenue in the sleep is, is the most...
1: Sleeping pills are a benzo, by the oh, way. Oh, dude. That, it's crazy that that's what they give people to help them get to sleep. Because yeah. the moment you step off that train, you're in a way worse situation than what you were when you couldn't sleep because oh. now you're addicted to drugs and you can't sleep. Oh, my God. And like
2: that, it's the scariest prospect that you're like, what, well, this is this is the like, because there are times where I, I thought that was a solution was to medicate. And, um, you know, you, you're trying to get relief and, you're exploring what's an option and medication is one. And like, that's so scary to think that that's like something that people turn to forever. Like the, those things can make you feel so far from yourself, like on a daily basis, it's hectic. And you, and then you get that loss that you don't even know what you used to feel, feel like. Like, Boy, uh, that's you crazy. Hey? You can't remember you're like, cause you're sleeping. You're like, Oh yeah, I'm feeling good. But you would be just operating so beyond what you used to. Um, yeah. So it's gnarly. So I went, I guess like what happened then was like, they just, because it happened at night, there just slowly became this association with night and, and fear. Like, I guess because that disrupted my sleep, then I might've had some bad sleeps and I just started to think about sleep. Mm. Like So I'd go to bed thinking about, am I going to sleep? And like, that's, you know, as everyone would know now, that's like 101 of how not to get it done. And but because I my mom, I was like sick to the core a little bit, my mind wasn't in its in its operating its normal self. It just fed on it, and it it just became this over about a month. It just became this thing where I was like highly anxious to go to bed. Like the, te- the most terrifying part of my day was to go and lie horizontal in a dark room and do something that I'd done since I was a baby. And like that in itself, like you just the fact that you've let yourself go there, it, it, like you just know what sort of state you're in, right? Like you're in a bad state and like, it was just psycho. Like I just, it just all happened so quick and like, but like then I'd just be like, would go not sleep for like two or three days. Like literally not, not, not <sighs> a wink, man. And like, I wasn't breathing then. So I, I'd just be lying there in this like confused state and just going, what's happening to me? And like, because of that, I'd just be so heightened and so alert and like, I wouldn't even be tired all night. I'd be like, you know, just like in that uncomfortable like wired kind of state and then it would just go and go. And once I was in it, it was like the hardest thing to break out of. Like I couldn't, like you wouldn't, you'd feel that tired during the day, like tired in the mind and like, oh, I just like, can't like deal with that person right now. I can't take this task on. But you never felt that tired of like dropping in the bed and sleeping. Um, And it would just go again. And like, I remember going to the doctors and, or like speaking to some specialist and they're like, what are you more scared of? Like a 10 foot wave or bed? And I was like, oh, bed, mm. like by a country mile, you know? Like, and so yeah, I guess I just went through that. Like, and it was like, so I'd, I might have those three day benders and like still like going to work, like life rolls on, you mm. know? No one knows like, how are you going? Good man. Like I hadn't slept, but like, and even if you say like, oh yeah, I'm not sleeping that good. People are like, oh yeah. Like, you know, it's just not an understood thing and it like buckles you to your knees and it's like it's like almost like you feel like you can't complain about it because there's like people have so much intense stuff going on and and like you're there talking about your sleep and so it's like this confusing like hmm. thing and
1: it's it's the most important part of life like it's hmm. it, I've read that book Why Do We Sleep by Matthew Walker I've listened to a heap of his podcasts it's like the world's leading doctor on sleep he has been on the Huberman lab um a couple of times and yeah, I mean it's such a vicious cycle when you're having bad sleeps. Mm. And they say that like you know for example, one good sleep will put your like mental health rating up like way Mm. higher than any depressants ever can. Yeah. Something as simple as that. And then it's like, well look and this is feeds into that book Stolen Focus. It's like look at all the things disrupting our sleep in the environment. Mm. The bright lights uh, and gadgets. Uh, two of the leading ones, you know, sugary foods, caffeine, too late in the day, alcohol, marijuana, like, yeah, there's so many things impacting on our sleep. Uh, you know, I spent the last couple of days just camping and fishing on the beach and, and staring at a fire. And like, it's crazy coming back to reality how good you feel. And that was with drinking beers and, 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 fucking smoking pot and shit so um it's not like we are taking real good care of ourselves but just from being in that natural rhythm of, of staring at a fire and, and not having devices around mm. you feel so reset um yeah that that natural rhythm is is critical to cultivating sleep i mean what, what have been some of the the big hacks that have helped you kind of repair in that way yeah just just um like, acceptance of
2: it, like, going, yeah, like, you're in this, Um, accepting, like, which I guess that's the first part that, like, sets your mind up for, like, yep, it's happening now, let's, like, work on the solutions instead of being, like, it's not me, it's, you know, like, can't be me, something's happening, like, reaching for for a quick fix. So, it's basically just been, like, (laughs) like, in a way, like, pull apart, like, your whole Life, like mm. what you thought your life was, what thats you what you have to do, eh? Yeah.
1: In any kind of healing journey, you have to look at the way you're living, like yeah. look at every single thing that you're doing. Yeah. And then you know, for me, like doctors were fairly useless, so it ended up being podcasts that unlocked mm. a lot of the keys. Mm. Podcasts all all around biohacking and health and stuff.
2: Yeah. yeah, and just admitting admitting stuff and like like just like accepting, confronting stuff, and realizing where you'd been misled and. Why, like who's who's made who's put that behavior in you like wasn't you and why do i have to like upstand this you know like you're a product of your environment certain things like that like they're, they're great no one's meant any harm or anything but there's certain times where for some reason or not that that can affect you in a way and and so just like just coming back to that like just inner like the inner stuff right like mm. the just the meditation and i'm not saying i'm great like i'm what i'm like an amazing meditator or breather or whatever but like just like observing yourself like regularly every single day and like doing those things that give you that perspective so you can like reflect on yourself and and understand yourself more so just like the breathing like lots of you know wim hof like lots like every most days um meditation ice bars and like just and like therapy like talking to people being actually honest like Mm. and Letting people like break you down and, and and like letting people be critical of you and, and so that you can see a different like side of you that you might not have been able to if it's just you reflecting on you, you know. Mm. Um, and partners are good for that and babies are good for that. Mm. Like babies are <laughs> mental for that, right? Like you're looking at this thing and you're like, I want to give – this baby like me like the proper me and mm. like the only way to do that work is to like face up to really uncomfortable stuff wow yeah
1: wow that's so fascinating man yeah I mean it, those health scares are the way that these big course corrections in life happen without mm. them mm. they don't seem to happen mm. and you see people uh, it's very common to see people in life who haven't had that big health scare early on or to critical juncture in life and they've just been on this slow steady insidious decline mm. uh, it's so common you see it so much amongst white males in that kind of 50 and above generation it seems like there's a majority that are uh, just high on their own supply with rigid egos and toxic uh habits that's you know, wearing them down, it's taken them out of the surf prematurely. It's taken them out of physical activities and uh, healthy kind of living uh, prematurely. It's 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 leading to this disconnection and isolation where, you know, there's just almost no functional place for, for mm. people in our society above a certain mm. age. Hey, like mm. they don't have a connection to the youth and mm. there's these flow-on effects of not getting that hectic course correction mm earlier on in life where you're fully forced to analyze everything you're doing, as you said, and, and, and understanding where you've come from and like just fully looking at your, the grand arc of your life and where you're yeah. at in it and what's led you to that point. It's a crazy fucking journey to go on, man. Holy shit. It's radical. <laughs> eh? And and you lose a lot of people in the process because you knew people from your previous life who expect you to live a certain way and be a certain way. And it's like, I can't live like that anymore. You know, it'd be great to be able to live like that anymore, but it's going to kill me. Like I'm feeling like I'm fucking not going to survive much longer, so I've got, to, <laughs> I've got to change. And if that means losing you, well, then you got to fuck off. Like, sorry, dude. But uh, yeah, fuck, man, it's wild. And that lifestyle that you guys lived, chasing waves, you know, sleeping in cars, disrupted sleep patterns, huge adrenaline dumps. Uh, and then psycho injuries that you probably never fully rehabilitated, never fully comprehended the, the many offshoots of that injury. You know, we, 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 in the West, we don't tend to treat injuries as this holistic thing. It's like, oh, you know, I suffered an injury here, so therefore it just affects here. You know, a yeah. fucking pop shoulder just affects that shoulder. It's like, no, you might be walking different or you know, putting energy or weight on other parts of the body. Uh, that you weren't before and you're just out of balance, you're out of whack, and that's yeah. gonna become chronic over time. Yeah. It's crazy, man. Um and you mentioned your partner too. Got to doff the cap, doff the uh fedora. <laughs> but uh <laughs> she's uh yeah you know own right done really well in life with music and, and stuff like that. Um yeah talk to us a bit about Holly right is her mm-hmm. name but different stage name um Jack River is it and yeah. Yeah, interesting. I wonder if I've seen her play in, in the city, if that's where she was living. I don't know what use that. that
0: uh, yeah, were. I
2: don't know. She probably didn't. I mean, where you live in isn't necessarily where you play a lot, yeah, I guess. True. So, I guess, um, yeah, you're at, what night were you at Splendor? Friday? No, oh, I can't remember. Saturday. Oh, yeah.
1: so she had a gig at Splendor? Yeah, she played pencil. at Splendor
2: this year. She was in the GW tent. Oh, um,
1: sick. Yeah, the kind of rootsy yeah yeah
2: uh it's like the i'm not too sure like i only went there once but it was like yeah that big tent kind of down the back right or something Mm. um so many tents but yeah no yeah wicked she's um yeah musician goes under the name jack river yeah Um, and she's like supported
1: midnight oil and shit yeah Yeah, she's like proper like world-class talent
2: yeah no she was she's she's goes incredible um has a core fan base, um, released a few albums. Um, so we got together in two eighteen, I think. Yeah, two eighteen. Um, and yeah, no, she's she's a full like an absolute beast, like go getter, like has a finger in so many pies. Um, super like loves the music, plays really well, um, and then is like super interested in like politics as well, mm-hmm. and trying to bring those two together in like a communicative way like yeah
1: we got I mean everyone has to be interested in politics because uh, there's no way of avoiding it so <laughs> like, either you're interested in it or your landlord's interested in it one like one way or the other you're going to be in it mm. may as well take an interest in it
2: yeah but yeah doff of the cap like it's That's it's, it. it's been cool like That's rad- to, um, and, 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 hang look out at- and go to those pl- like and just like see that different side of things and it, it takes us to really cool spots and then yeah um, like she, I've learned a lot about that political side with her and like she's into a lot of – she's like into change, you know, trying to make make where, where we live, a better, like the world, I guess, a better place. Um, that's her like main drive. So music has been a way to – like has has provided that platform to, to do that somewhat, you know.
1: Yeah, interesting, man. And, and, and look at the yeah, – it's so interesting – when you commit to that path when you've got talent but you've got this greater purpose underpinning that talent there's a, a reason for being engaged in that art that's not just money and um you know consumption and then you look at the people who approach music like that midnight oil billy Bragg. you know it's an endless list of people but mm. fuck, their careers are mm. long man yeah. and they have these core followings um and yeah there will always be like this kind of core that supports both the message and 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 the, the medium mm-hmm. it's rad it's yeah, sick it's, it's cool rad. that she's in, in, managed to find her way into that that you know it can be a little niche and mm-hmm. it can expand over time but it provides purpose and a feedback loop that's positive for both the fans and the, the artist must be trippy Absolutely. also seeing that you're your wife or your uh, partner has um, you know this whole it's almost like a double life and it predates you as well and it's like well you've <laughs> yeah, got like yeah. you've got like a crew who like fully know everything about your songs and, and mm. you and are really like committed to to mm. what you do that's that's yeah that's oh, the first
2: couple of times like because you know like when you first dating someone you're like oh yeah you're a musician but you just like going like you're not delving too deep everything's like surface there and you're just chilling and I like probably wasn't like five, five or six months in that I went to a show and then I was like in there and like just waiting for it. And then like it turned and then it happened and then like everyone was just singing. I was just, it was just kind of like one of those moments. Like, what? Like what's going on here? No, that's I- her. Like that's, you know, and then, um, and then like now obviously been to tons of shows. So, um, pretty used to it. But now like then we've got Maggie, our daughter now coming to the shows, you know, and like strapped in on the, on the, the chest strap and like, got little headphones for her and, like, she gets to watch that and, like, she, you know, Holly played, like, I'm going to say, like, maybe 15 or 20 shows with Maggie in her belly. Um, wow. You know, in that, so, there's, man. like, going to be that cool. Maggie wow. will kind of, you know, be able to look back at that and, and that would have come through her in, in some way. So, it's, like, it's super cool, like.
1: Pretty amazing thing. That is so trippy, man. Is that a commonly done thing? I don't know if I've ever heard of that before. Wow. No, I think she
2: really, you know, like women pregnancy and like how they, you know, especially in music, I think, and I don't want to state anything here because I'm uneducated, but like, you know, you don't really see pregnant women like singing or touring or it's like, okay, you have a baby, you tap out for a bit. So she really wanted to embody that and be like, well, I'm I'm doing it and we can do it. And so she really as exhausting as it was for her and like you know like you'd probably rather be at home there but like that, it's yeah. like i'm gonna this is what i'm this is what i do as a career and i'm gonna do it after and like we can do it while we're pregnant and and like the audiences would go nuts when she came out like she was doing the Oh, i don't know it's definitely not grooving the move but it was like one of the festival runs she was doing like three three weeks out from due date or four weeks out um She did like, yeah, it was like one of the ones that does like the four festivals in the different states. Whoa. And she, and like, she was popping, like, so she'd come out and like, you can imagine what all the chicks would be like when she's coming out, like popping, losing it, you know, so pretty fun. Yeah. It's so
1: cool. And you can only imagine like Maggie would absorb so much of that energy. There's only Mm -hmm. that thin layer of skin between her Mm -hmm. and like hundreds of (laughs) screaming people. And like, which is all projecting love and and froth towards. Yeah. Holy wow, that oh, is yeah, wild! Did man.
2: something to her ears; like she can hear the grass grow now. So <laughs> now he can, you know. Really? <laughs> like, you know, when like Pretty they're right? sleeping, you just like creak the floor, and it's like. Oh you know? no way! Damn, damn But um, damn. um yeah, I might have to.
1: Yeah, man. To kick it too easy. Damn. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been amazing. Fucking yeah. love reliving this, and um. Yeah, fucking.
2: Thanks for having me, I'm a Huge fan of the, <laughs> all the potties. Like, can't can barely keep up with you at the moment yeah, yeah. how much. But um, always listening. Like, always loved what you do. So thanks, got man. so much respect and appreciate that support everything. So thanks for having Sick. me
1: on. It's likewise, brother. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Cheers, mate. Hitting the road.